Petty running down a dream. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. A little bit erratic with the scheduling recently, as I have been jumping the show around as far as the dates been on over the last several weeks. The normal date and time for this show, in case you're new, is 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Tuesday. But we haven't kept to that very much recently. Last week, the show was on Monday, nine days ago. The week before that, it was on Wednesday, just like it is today. Of course, today it's on Wednesday. The week before that, I think it was on Tuesday. Uh, actually, I think we missed the week before. People saying the mic is low, and I'm detecting that as well. Let's see what I can do about that. I am in a secret location right now, which... See if I can do anything about this mic and make this a bit louder. I'm, I'm hearing kind of the same thing. But I'm in a secret location here tonight, and that's the reason why I'm not using my usual equipment. And uh, this is old equipment, which last time worked, but this time I think it's a bit soft. But uh, just turn me up if I'm too soft. I apologize for that. Someone in the chat is guessing that I'm in a beach house in Mexico right now. (laughs) Not quite true. Not quite true, but I I am at a secret location, and if you want to reach me, despite the fact that I'm in a secret location, it's the same phone numbers as always. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's a phone. It's an old 70s rotary telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which got some snow recently, not very much, which is by Las Vegas. And it forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. You have to show your caller ID no matter what, or you will not get through. Supposedly we're going to get a call tonight from someone who can expand upon one of our topics, a guy named Handicap Me, and we'll see if he calls in. If he doesn't, no big deal. If you try to call in and I don't answer, again, it's no big deal. Just try back in about 15 minutes or so. All that means is I'm not ready to take the phone call. But please don't hammer me with calls over and over again, because then I won't take your call at all. No co-host tonight on this show. We sometimes have a co-host, sometimes not. Tonight, it's just me. When it is just me, keep in mind that I have to do everything here. I have to watch the phones, I have to watch the chat room, I have to speak for three or four hours straight, which is harder than you think it is, and I have to run the technical part of the show, so it actually broadcasts. A lot of you listen to this show in the archives, which means you're not hearing it live, but this is a live radio show that also functions as a podcast, and therefore... Everything that happens in real time, you hear. That's why this show has fail and bloopers. Let's see. Let's take this phone call here. Normally, I wouldn't take a call this early, but I think this is the call I'm expecting. Uh, call, you're on the air. Hey, is this Mr. Todd Wotellis? It is. Who's, who is calling here? It's Handicap Me. Yeah, hi. So, uh, you know, this is going to be a bit of a departure from the normal routine of the show. If you could just hold on a second, let me tell them about the free roll, and then we're going to jump into Oh, wait, the, yeah, 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 go for it. Then we're going to jump into the topic you're calling about. Usually I, I go through the whole agenda and everything, but, uh, you know, you're calling in. I know you're 
not on the West Coast, so it's pretty late for you already. I don't want to make you wait any longer. Wait, do you want me to call back in like 30 minutes? Because oh, like, I just walked in, okay, great. Had, yeah, like, sure. had a few drinks, I could shower, and then I'll call back. Yeah, yeah, take a shower so I don't have to smell you through the phone. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds know, about and, right. And All right, I'll call you back. Thanks, Yeah, Bob. thanks. Bye. Okay. You know, the reason I was going to disrupt the show to take this guy's call about Caesars is because I, I'm so paranoid about not reaching people on this show because whenever I plan to reach someone, it, like, never works out. So when I actually get a hold of someone or they get a hold of me on this show, I, I kind of feel like... I kind of feel like the kid in high school who thinks that if he doesn't get his girlfriend to sleep with him tonight, she's probably going to break up with him tomorrow and he'll lose his chance to lose his virginity. So I, I kind of feel that way tonight where I just have to jump on it. I have to jump on any chance I get. But... Uh, I'll explain why he's calling in shortly. We're going to go back to the regular format of the show now, where I give you the intro and give you the agenda, and then we go on with our topics. And when he calls in in half an hour, then we will do his topic. So, there is a free roll tonight. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Usually it's at 7.40 p.m. Pacific, which would mean you missed it. But you didn't miss it, because tonight it's at 8.10 p.m. Pacific. You also have 25 minutes after that to register late. It is a big free roll tonight. It is a $170 free roll tonight. A lot of free rolls on here. Just this past Sunday, we had a $1,000 free roll. A $1,000 free roll thanks to Brandon Drexel Gerson. But this is our regular free roll, and we got a lot of donations for tonight. We got $100 from C-Money. We got $50 from Flipper Fair. We got... $10 $10 from Jstat, and $10 from a guy named Side Effect, who wants a bounty on himself, and he plays on the room as Side Effect. And by the way, the Flipper Fair money came via SimpDog, who's very generous, and he had, like, a contest for $50, which Flipper Fair won, and then forwarded it to this free roll. So, a lot of generosity all around here. And therefore, we have $160 plus 10 to give away on this bounty. So it's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen. You need a free account there, but you don't need any play chips to enter the tournament. You can enter immediately. But you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013, or before. If you do not, you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks and convince me of that by telling me things you heard on the show that are not in the show description. And I will grant you an exception that is good for as long as you remain in good standing on this site to win the free money. So here is the structure of the payout for tonight, for the No Limit Hold'em tournament we have at 8.10 p.m. First place, 75 bucks. Second place, 45. Third place, 23. Fourth place, 11. Fifth place, $6, and if you knock out Side Effect, you get $10. How will you get paid? Well, this is a real cash money free roll, meaning I will pay you by PayPal, by bank transfer, by cash, check. I will even send you Bitcoin. So this is a real cash free roll where you get real money when you win, totally free to enter, and the fields are always fewer than 100 people. So you have a decent chance to win. It's not like having to play a free roll of 2,000 people to win 75 bucks. That kind of sucks. This one, you have a good shot of winning. We have people who win over and over here. So, definitely a a good free roll to play. You're not going to win huge money, but if you want to win something, 
while you listen to the show. It's a great thing to do, and I thank all our listeners for donating every week. So that's at 810. Here's the agenda for tonight. Um, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, two things I haven't mentioned yet. You want to go in the chat room during the broadcast, you can. All you need is a flash-enabled device, meaning it's not an iPhone or an, iP- or an iPad, and you need a working account, a good standing account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to get into the chat. Just click on the chat button at the top of the screen, and if you want to text me during the show, that phone number is 775-372-8355, same as our main number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before the show, during the show, or after the show, and I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. Here is our agenda for this evening. I'm not going to talk a long time about this, but Brandon Drexel Gerson held his first annual $1,000 Workers' Party free roll. This is an invitational. You had to be approved by Brandon's Workers' Party in order to play in the free roll. Well, we had 76 entrants. 76 people were approved and played. And, you know... I was invited to it with the agreement that I would donate two-thirds of any winnings I get back to the Workers' Party. And I didn't expect to last long. In fact, I told Benjamin's mom that I'd be able to spend the evening with her, that it's unlikely that I'd last very long. I'm not going to take it too seriously. I'm just going to go there and play, and probably it's going to end pretty quickly because it's just a, a quick little online tournament. Well... This tournament, this little tournament lasted over four hours. I did not expect a four-hour commitment to this tournament, but for me it lasted four hours because I finished second, which means I played the entire time in the tournament. Who beat me? It was none other than Boom Headshot, also known as Headshot. And Headshot, he just kind of bided his time. He just skated through without really ever having a huge lead or a huge chip stack and uh, there he was at the end and uh, you know he did put one bad beat to get there where he had jack three all in against my ace jack and flopped to three but the rest of the time he played you know pretty reasonable and uh, just was patient held on didn't do anything stupid and and he won beat me heads up and he won not only the top prize in the free roll, which, as you can imagine, was pretty substantial because it was the $1,000 free roll, but he also won a $140 bounty on me. So it was the best situation for him that of all people he'd be playing, it would be me because then he was guaranteed to also get the bounty if he knocked me out and won the tournament, which he did. So congratulations to Headshot. Thank you very much to Brandon for putting on the free roll, and uh, congratulations to everybody else who cashed in the free roll, uh, including... Uh, UGA is the team who I knocked out. I think he went out fifth. I believe they paid six spots. UGA is the team is a longtime member of our community, and he had a stroke in June, a very serious stroke, and he still cannot move the left side of his body. His whole life changed. He's the same age as me. He's 42 years old, and uh, he's recovering from a stroke. And he played the free roll, and he cash too, so I was glad to see that. I feel a little bit bad knocking the guy out after he had a stroke. <laughs> Very standard hand. He had jacks and I had ace-king suited and I uh, flopped him. I was really hitting everything there until the very end and then uh, 
my my luck finally ran out against headshot. So honestly, I wasn't thinking it's gonna take four hours. I I didn't plan for that to be four hours of my night, but it was fun and everybody enjoyed it. And these are just the fringe benefits of being part of the poker fraud alert community. Basically, the criteria that Brandon and the Workers Party used as far as who could qualify was if they either recognized you as a contributing member of the forum or someone that they believed was a very loyal radio listener and uh, or that someone recommended. Basically, if you're part of the community and you could be recognized for that, you could play. If not, you couldn't. And there were a few exceptions to that, but, but really, uh, you know, post on the forum, become part of the community. You never know what you'll be invited to. There's a lot of generous people on the site. A lot of people who want to share this success with others. Here on Poker Fraud Alert. It's not a not a huge community, but uh, a community that's very generous to one another. Let me take a look at the chat room here. See, they're accusing me in the chat room of pulling a gray cat. Oh, by the way, the free roll was seven hundred fifty dollars. They they distributed some of the money to a. Uh, a sports betting venture that the Workers' Party's doing. But uh, they're giving me a hard time in the chat room saying that since I run the poker room, the reason I made it all the way to second and ran so well was because I could see the whole cards. That I pulled a gray cat. That I was basically the pot ripper of this tournament. And I, I know they're not serious in accusing me of that, but just just in case you're wondering, just in case you're wondering, Headshot's already angry. I said he skated through. That was a compliment when I said he skated through. You know, the the most important thing in a tournament is that you're just there at the end, and then you're there to get lucky at the end. If you're not there, you can't get lucky. If you're not there, you can't win. So survival is very key. You don't have to run up a gigantic stack to win it. But anyway, um, I don't run the No Fraud Online Poker Room. That's run by Belly Buster in England. The No Fraud Online Poker Room is not even residing in the same continent as me. It's in Europe. So, I have no access to see any hole cards. I couldn't if I tried. I couldn't if I wanted to. The only way I could is if I had some sort of thing going on with Belly Buster where he... uh, I I don't even think he could see it. Yeah, I'm sure he can't even see it either. I don't think there's any way for anyone to see hole cards. So... I don't think there's any kind of serious accusations about that, but just in case you're wondering, just in case you think maybe I, I cheated a little bit, I didn't. I didn't, and even if I could see whole cards, I wouldn't. People even ask me about this forum. They say, can you read our private messages on Poker Fraud Alert? It's a good question. Guess what the answer is? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I can read your private messages. But do I read your private messages? The answer is no. But I'd be lying to say if I couldn't read your private messages because anyone who runs a forum like this can go into the database and read your private messages to other people. It's not that hard to do. But I don't. I don't think it's the right thing to do. The only way I would do this is if it involved something like a scammer and uh, and I needed to see what he was doing, what scams he was pulling. Then I wouldn't feel bad about reading his private messages. But I, I have never gone into anybody's private message mailbox here and and read them. I could have. Maybe you don't believe me, but I didn't. And if you're that concerned, then don't send anything that private that you don't want me to see. Flipper Fair saying in the chat room, it's just jerk-off material reading private messages. 
I mean, maybe if the private messages are that salacious, I, I, it would be. But I, I think this is mostly dudes here. If we had more girls posting on this forum, then maybe I would read the private messages. But there's there's really nothing for me to see other than dudes talking to one another. So, not very exciting stuff. Anyway, let me give you the agenda, the rest of the agenda here tonight. I already talked about the first topic of the free roll. Ultimate poker. Ultimate gaming is gone. They're out of here. No more Ultimate Poker. It does not exist anymore. Ultimate Gaming, the company that put on Ultimate Poker, does not exist. They are gone. Last week on this show, nine days ago, I talked about how Ultimate Poker was circling the drain, that they were throwing Hail Marys to try to save the site at the last minute. I did not predict that the next week they'd be down. That was a bit of a surprise to me, but I did say that they're at the very end, and that they're trying anything they can to stay afloat. Sure enough, after a long segment about Ultimate Poker and the things they had done wrong, they went down. They were gone. I woke up on Friday to find that Ultimate Poker had gone down. I woke up to all kinds of tweets about that. People telling me, hey, take a look at this, because I just talked about it so much. Uh, we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm not going to repeat what I said last week, because, you know, I, I like to think people listen every week. I don't want to repeat the same thing two weeks in a row, but there's more to talk about. More has come out since then. So what happened to Ultimate Gaming? Well, they had an epic failure in management. Management claims it's the fault of the bad Nevada and New Jersey markets, but that's not true. That's not why they went down. It's part of it, but that's not the main reason they went down. It was an epic management failure. And we got a glimpse inside Ultimate Poker from former employee and junior-level manager Terrence Chan. Yes, that Terrence Chan, the guy who won two scoop events on Poker Stars in the same day with huge fields. That Terrence Chan, the guy who used to work for Poker Stars a long ass time ago, the guy who does MMA. That Terrence Chan, who worked a long time for Ultimate Poker, came out and did a 36 minute video explaining the problems there and basically why he's pissed off about the way things went at Ultimate Poker. And Terrence Chan is not a chronic complainer, he's a pretty soft spoken, easygoing guy. And for him to do a 36-minute video about this, you know he's got to be pretty pissed off. So I'm going to be playing you uh, the entire 36 minutes of that video. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to play the entire 36 minutes. I, I, I could hear the radios turning off as I said that. But I'm not going to play you 36 minutes of Terrence Chan talking. Now, I found all 36 minutes to be very interesting. I really enjoyed every bit of that. In fact, I wish there was more. Because I am very interested in the subject But I imagine most of the listeners here While you may have some interest in the Ultimate Poker Saga Probably don't care about it as much as I do So I'm not going to play you that And if you want to see If you want to hear all 36 minutes Then you can go watch the YouTube video But I'm going to play a few pieces of it That I felt were the most important parts And comment on them And 
finally, as far as Ultimate Poker is concerned, I'm going to talk about why they gave up and shut down and why they didn't stay and wait for the likely legalization of online poker in California, where obviously the market is going to be much bigger and better than it was in New Jersey and Nevada. Why, why give up now when you're so close to the big payoff? I'll explain why. Well, a topic we're going to talk about, and we'll probably interrupt the Ultimate Poker discussion when Handicap Me calls in, but a topic we're going to discuss also, and with, with him, he claims he has some insight into this, Caesars, who puts on the World Series of Poker, one of the two major casino companies in Las Vegas, most of the big casinos in Las Vegas are either owned by MGM or Caesars. There are others, but most of them, most of the big casinos in Vegas are owned by one of those two. Bellagio owned by MGM. Caesars obviously owned by Caesars. Harrah's owned by Caesars. Uh, Paris and Bally's owned by Caesars. Uh, Luxor owned by MGM. Uh, New York, New York owned by MGM. Monte Carlo owned by MGM. Like, you know, you you just go down the strip and most of them are owned by one of these two companies. So Caesars is going to be declaring bankruptcy within the next few months. So what does that mean? Does it mean that the World Series won't exist in 2015? Does it mean that if you have unspent reward credits there that you better get rid of them because they'll be gone? Does it mean that if you've earned a status of like Diamond or Seven Stars at Caesars, does that mean you're going to lose it? Does it mean that the whole company is going to collapse and these hotels will all close? No. It does not mean any of those things in all likelihood. What it really means is that various investors in Caesars are going to get screwed. It's a restructuring, it's a reshuffling of assets, and I'll, I'll try to explain what's going on, and Handicap Me, who just called in before, says he has some more to add to this. Well, Daniel Coleman, who won the One Drop event, and then won some other major tournaments, I mean, this guy has had a great year poker-wise, but he's also known recently for being very outspoken about poker. He's bashed poker. He said it's not a good game. It's not a good community. It's very predatory. Uh, people lose too much when they can't afford to lose the recreational players. Uh, people are wasting their time playing poker instead of doing more important things with their lives. Uh, he, he wore free Gaza shirts to make a political statement against Israel at one of the tournaments he went to. This is despite the fact, I think, that Coleman himself is Jewish. Uh, this is a very outspoken guy that I have classified on previous shows as a limousine liberal. And I call him a limousine liberal because this is someone who claims to have a very progressive view towards life. This is someone who uh, acts like he's fighting the power. But at the same time, despite all his supposed progressiveness and supposed caring about the little guy and supposed thinking that poker is a waste of time and that that poker is so evil to take money from those who can't afford to lose it, he has been supporting himself, and not just supporting himself, but making millions upon millions of dollars from this game that he's criticized so much. And he has not given that money back to anyone. So, basically, Coleman feels guilty about the way he makes the money, but not guilty enough to give it back. He just feels guilty enough to criticize it. 
So I call him a limousine liberal. He's someone who likes to say things for effect, may even really think these things, but he doesn't feel strongly enough to have it affect his own lifestyle. To make the changes in his own life to back what he's actually saying. He just likes to speak. Remember Prahlad Friedman? He was another limousine liberal, someone who was always going off about the terribleness of corporations. That the corporate culture in the U.S. is evil. And then what does he do? He signs on with the most evil and corrupt corporation ever, UB, and ignored all the warnings everyone gave him and closed his eyes to it because he needed money. So, again, huge hypocrite, huge limousine liberal. But this show is not about Coleman being a limousine liberal. This show is about Coleman saying something that I actually agree with. Daniel Coleman is calling out Phil Hellmuth. Daniel Coleman is really, for the first time, Phil Hellmuth is getting heat about the UB situation that's in the mainstream poker news. Now, Scott Bell, a.k.a. Eleven Grover, did a film called Ultimate Beat about the whole UB scandal, but it wasn't watched except for by a lot of poker diehards. It, It just wasn't received by the mainstream. The mainstream did not see Ultimate Beat, and Ultimate Beat's main point was not Phil Hellmuth. It did explore Phil Hellmuth somewhat, that he's more culpable in the UB scandal than people think, that he deserves more blame than people think, and I've agreed with that for a long time. But but really, the mainstream does not know Phil Hellmuth as someone that should be reviled for his association and ownership, by the way, in UB. People hate... Annie Duke for UB. They, of course, hate the main cheater, Russ Hamilton. People even hate Greg Pearson. Uh, People hate Joe Seabach and Prahlad Friedman for getting involved with it after the scandal and trying to get people to come back there. But people don't hate Phil Hellmuth. So Coleman has called him out. I'll tell you what Coleman said, then how Coleman backpedaled a bit from what he said about Hellmuth, and that Coleman apparently got scared that his own past may come out and bite him and admit it to something wrong that he did back in 2007 and 2008. And possibly Coleman might be done with poker soon. Well, somebody who I don't think plays poker but is coming out publicly as somewhat of a friend of online poker is a politician that most of you know of named Ron Paul. Ron Paul, who has unsuccessfully seeked the Republican nomination for president, and he's never going to be president. He's never going to get mainstream support. If anybody's ever going to hit the mainstream in that family, it'll be his son, Rand Paul, from Kentucky. But Ron Paul, he's a little bit too out there to connect with the mainstream. He just He's not going to be president. He doesn't have the ability to go through an entire campaign and appeal to the mainstream. Even if a lot of his ideas are good, he's never going to make the presidency. Even if you love him, you've got to admit he's not going to make the presidency. It's not going to happen. But Ron Paul still has a lot of influence, and he spoke out against people like Sheldon Adelson and their objections to online poker, saying how ridiculous the whole thing is, and and basically just attacked anyone who is saying that there should be legislation outlawing online poker. So good on Ron Paul. I'll tell you what he said. And obviously I agree with all of it. 
Two more Amaya Gaming stories, but believe it or not, neither are about Poker Stars. Amaya Gaming, the current owner of Poker Stars and Full Tilt, there's a rumor that they're going to buy B-Win Party. Can you imagine Party Poker being also owned by Amaya? It'd be crazy. But they might actually do it. And while they're getting ready to possibly buy B-Win Party, they have sold another network they own called the OnGame Network that's been around for a long time. Talk a bit about that. Another network that cannot be played by U.S. customers called the iPoker Network. I played there a long time ago. The games were actually pretty good back when I played, back when they took U.S. customers. But they have introduced a new disturbing model of rake. Not of rake, but but, uh, of how skins into the network get paid. A skin into a network, if you don't know, is... uh, It's like an interface into the network where a lot of different companies or individuals can run their own poker sites, but they're actually not standalone poker sites. It's just connecting to that network, and they all have the same players. So, you know, um, you know, John Smith could own his own poker site called John Smith Poker. Mike Jones could own his poker site called Mike Jones Poker. Um, you know, a third guy could own his poker site called ABC Poker, and yet they all feed into the same player pool, and they all play against each other, and as far as they see... Like, everyone's all on the same site. That's what skins are into a network. Well, the iPoker network, which is comprised of a lot of skins, how do they pay the skins? How do the skins make money? Well, before, the skins would get paid by the rake that would be taken in the game. So that made sense. But on iPoker, they're going to be changing that model in 2015, and the skins will be paid only based upon deposits made into the poker sites, not rake. that mean? It means that iPoker doesn't really see rake as the way they make money. They see taking your deposits as the way they make money. And while on the very surface that's true, that's a very disturbing way to look at it, and I'll explain why. I hope that model doesn't continue. That's a very dangerous way to look at things. Commerce Casino. Commerce Casino. The biggest live online Biggest live poker room, not biggest live online poker room. Biggest live poker room. I've spent a lot of time there myself. Located in the L.A. area. You will not find any poker room in the world that's live that's that big. The only way you can find a poker room with more tables is to go online. Well, one hallmark of commerce has been, has always been, high limit players get free food. If you are playing in the high limit room, even if you're waiting to get in a game in the high limit room, you are entitled to free food. Now, you're expected to tip the servers who bring it to you, but it's not required. I do it, most people do it, but it's not a required charge, that's just a tip. But you are not charged for food, you can order unlimited food. And believe me, as you might guess, I have. You see me on live at the bike, you really believe I have. Well, no more. No more free food in commerce. Commerce, for the first time ever, is now charging their high-limit players for food. You may say, well, good. They don't deserve free food. Why don't the low-limit players get free food? Well, the high-limit players pay more rake. But commerce decided they don't care. No more free food for commerce players. And I'll tell you why I think that's pretty bad and pretty obnoxious for them to do. Even though a lot of other card rooms don't do it, there's a reason why commerce should do it. Not just because I'm a cheap Jew and want it. 
Trump Taj Mahal will not be serving free or paid food to anyone after December 12th. They are closing on December 12th. We'll talk a bit about that. That's in Atlantic City, in case you don't know. Finally, Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco, yes, that Jose Canseco, former baseball player, one of the two Bash brothers, one of the two steroid brothers, and uh, one of the very earliest outers of steroid users in baseball. He was really one of the earliest people blowing the lid off the steroid culture of baseball in the 90s and early 2000s. Jose Canseco has an interest in poker. He plays poker sometimes. Well, people have lost a lot of things playing poker. They've lost money. They've lost their sanity. They've lost their teeth when they get in fights and uh, get them knocked out. Even a few cases, they've lost their lives when they're followed home after the poker game and someone mugs them and kills them for their money. It's happened before. Sometimes they even lose their card protector. Or maybe they lose their jacket or their cell phone. But something that's never happened before, at least in the modern era of poker, has been losing a finger at the poker table. (laughs) Now, nobody chopped Jose Canseco's finger off. He wasn't trying to steal money out of the pot and got it chopped off, Middle Eastern style. Jose Canseco's finger fell off. So we'll talk about what happened there. And how does your finger fall after during a poker game? I'll explain. That's our agenda for tonight. I'll take a look in the chat room before I start talking about ultimate poker. Real Talk wants to know how much I tipped on unlimited food. Well, I tipped in commerce based upon what I would get. I always had a hard time figuring out the right amount. Because... I tried to compare it to the waiters and waitresses at restaurants. Basically what they do at Commerce is they wheel it over to you. They wheel the food over to you on a table so you can eat there when you're at the poker table. You don't pay for the food itself, and then you're expected to tip the server. Now the server, unlike a server at a restaurant who's always checking on you, refilling your drink, asking anything else you need, what do you want to order now, do you want any dessert? No, that's not how it works at Commerce. At Commerce you give them the whole long list of what you want to order, and then they bring it to you. And then they don't come back and check on you. So they do a lot less work than a server in a restaurant does. So I'm like, well, I don't think they should get what a server in a restaurant does, but at the same time, like, I can't give them a dollar. So uh, I, depending on what I order, this is per meal. So if I, think, if I eat more than once there, I'll, I'll, of course, tip again. But for, per meal, I would usually tip anywhere from, like, a dollar if I just want a drink. Uh, all the way up to $5 if I order a big meal. And I, I think that's plenty, honestly. So I tip like one for a drink, uh, three or four for a smaller, moderate meal, and five for a big meal. So What about when you have like four meals? Look at this. A, a disembodied voice from beyond is asking me this question. <laughs> well, if I had four meals, I, I probably would. If I had five, four big meals, I probably would tip a total of $20. I mean, like I, I don't penalize the server because I ordered another meal for you know, six hours ago. But the truth is I usually only order one meal at Commerce because if I'm there a very long time, I don't want to eat again because eating makes me tired. So that's the last thing I want if I've been playing like 18 hours is to eat a big meal. So anyway, uh, this has handicapped me. And uh, good timing with a call because I don't have to 
start and stop the ultimate poker topic. I can just jump right into the Caesars topic. So I'm going to introduce the topic of Caesars. Yep. And and then you can give your take on it uh, and, and tell me anything you might know. Uh, so th- th- this is what's going on with Caesars. They have a planned bankruptcy that uh, it's not totally decided when that's going to happen, but it's pretty much going to happen. And as I said before in the intro to this show, Caesars is the company that owns and puts on the World Series of Poker. They also own a lot of properties, I believe nine different hotels in Las Vegas, and they own about 50 hotels around the United States and Canada. So Caesars is not just Caesars anymore. Caesars has spun off itself into various other companies that all act under the Caesars umbrella. There's Caesars Entertainment. There's, let's see here, a Caesars Entertainment Operating Company, which is different than Caesars Entertainment. There's Caesars Interactive Entertainment, which is another different company, which is the mostly their online business, like WSOP.com. There's Caesars Growth Partners. And then there's also uh, one other here. What is that? Uh, do you know what? i got to look it up. Oh, here you are. Caesars Entertainment Resort Properties, LLC. So we have five different entities here uh, within Caesars. And so you might wonder, why are they doing this? Why, why, why bother with all these different Caesars companies? Why not just have it all be Caesars? Well, uh, the reason for this, and, and maybe Handicap Me can get more into it if he's got more to add. But the, the, and I had to figure this out myself. This was, this was complicated for me to figure out, too. I was like, I knew somewhat about all this, but I, I didn't really get into really trying to understand it fully until very recently. So, uh, basically, Caesars took on a whole lot of debt, especially when they, they merged with Harris a number of years ago. And uh, and this debt has really been biting them in the ass ever since. And in addition, they're just not operating profitably. So, they I believe they're like twenty one billion dollars in debt at the moment. Twenty one well, billion. Well, just one note on that is that technically they are operating properly, but they are having issues with the debt and the interest costs associated with it. So, so you think that uh, you're saying that you believe that they are actually operating with a profit, but uh, but the interest cost from the well, debt is is making it uh, a yeah. loss. Yeah. So if you removed all their debt, let's say somehow they found a magic fairy who gave them twenty one billion dollars. Yeah. They would be perfectly fine. They would actually be profitable. Oh, they would make money. That's interesting. I didn't... So, so take Atlantic City for example. Uh, they just closed down the showboat, right? And that was because of. Uh, consolidation. However, the showboat was profitable. It was just the least profitable of the four that they had. So what what happened with that is they expected that the business that came from the showboat would actually go to the other three properties that they held, which was Harris, Caesars, and Bally's for AC. Yeah. But you can go on. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that was good information. I, in fact, I, I didn't know that. I thought that they were still operating at a loss and had this problem with the debt and all the interest. But so that's, that's an interesting point, and uh, that, that's why I'm glad I have you on here. So uh, I'm just trying to get my head around all this. So uh, basically, Caesars has certain entities that they see as being valuable that they want to protect. And uh, one of them is indeed the World Series of Poker. 
The World Series of Poker is one of the smartest things, in fact, it's probably the smartest thing that Caesars has done in in probably uh, at least the last 15 years and maybe in its lifetime. Uh, if you guys don't know the story, 10 years ago, Becky Binion, who was the owner then of Binion's Casino in downtown Vegas, was running that property into the ground. However, Binion's invented and owned the World Series. So, in a very smart move, Caesars went to Binion's and said, we'll buy your hotel. And, and Binion's was in such bad shape that they didn't, even have much, they didn't have enough cash on hand even to pay what they had in chips. And you have to, in, in Nevada, you have to, if, if you operate a casino, you have to have money to pay off every chip that you have out at the moment. Otherwise, uh, um, uh, otherwise you're not allowed to operate. So if everybody wants to come in and cash in their chips at once, you should be able to do it. You have to be able to do it. So I mean, Binion's was actually shut down because they lacked that cash. That's how much trouble they were in. So Caesars came in and said, hey, we will buy you. How about $50 million? And Becky Binion's like, oh, sweet, $50 million for this shithole. So she snap sold it. Well, what she did not realize was that Caesar didn't give a crap about that little Binion's casino in downtown Las Vegas that was run down and, and uh, has been. They cared about the World Series of Poker. And when they buy Binion's, they get the World Series. So they bought it, took the World Series, sold Binion's to someone else to wash their hands of it. I don't know what they got, but they got something fairly close to the $50 million they they bought it for. So they, they pretty much picked up the World Series of Poker for free. Because they bought Binion's, took the World Series from it, and then sold Binion's without the World Series to someone else for about the same money. So it's uh, it was an amazingly astute move. And then they marketed the World Series very well, which is why to this day the World Series still gets huge numbers. So the World Series is a very profitable and very valuable entity to Caesars. So they don't want uh, their current debt problems uh, affecting the World Series in any way. So what they've started to do is... Uh, and you can correct me if I'm incorrect about any of this stuff, but they've started to spin off their valuable entities into separate companies to protect them yep. from the upcoming bankruptcy. And basically, they're leaving the trash in uh, in one of these companies, and that's going to be the one that declares the bankruptcy. So, yep. so the one that's going to be declaring the bankruptcy is Caesars Entertainment Operating Company, and that's where most of the old debt is. And uh, so, so the World Series of Poker has already been taken out of that. The World Series of Poker is now actually inside Caesars Interactive Entertainment, even though it's not technically interactive. Now, WSOP.com definitely is, but Caesars Interactive Entertainment is supposed to be about ventures like WSOP.com, like online ventures, and, and also for like their social media stuff they've been doing, like their Facebook app and whatever. But uh, they've also join the World Series to it, and I guess the excuse for that is, well, WSOP.com is interactive, so we, we're just going to put it all together. But the truth is, they're really just doing this to protect the World Series, which is a, a valuable uh, asset to them. And this also explains why Seth Polanski, who uh, as you guys know, is very involved in the operations of the World Series. He's, he's one of the big wigs in the World Series of Poker. But I was surprised when I was criticizing WSOP.com that Seth Polanski personally contacted me out of nowhere and had a, like an hour-long conversation with me on the phone defending WSOP.com. And I'm like, wow, like, like I had no idea that Seth Polanski had anything to do with the, the online part. And now it all makes sense to me. 
I, I couldn't figure out why Seth Polanski was so connected to the online part when I just thought he was a World Series guy. But now it makes sense because it's the same company. It's the same sub-company there with the uh, center. Hey, Todd? Yeah. So one thing I want to add to that is you made a really, really good point where um, what's been happening is the Opco, which is what you're talking about with Caesars uh, Entertainment Company and whatnot, uh, what's been happening is that they've been selling assets. So they've been selling the profitable uh, casinos to other entities within the umbrella of Caesars, right? And um, I guess the I guess the WSOP was was one of those, but it's mostly been the properties that um, that the train desk I'm on is concerned with. But so what's been happening there is they've been selling the profitable, um, uh, I guess, casinos is the best way to say it, out to other entities, and they've been selling them at like a bottom basin price. So one of the things that was coming out was that. Um, when we get to the quote-unquote investors who will lose money, we'll be able to I'll, – I'll get more into this piece, but one of the things that came out was these investors uh, came out that they may want to sue for fraudulent sale because when these properties were sold and they were one of the most profitable companies of the Opco, um, people started getting angry because – I forgot which one was sold recently, but it was for $2.1 billion. It was basically moved over to the hold co, I believe. And people were coming out saying that the actual value of that property was close to $4 billion. So it's the same thing that happened with, with the WSOP, where they shifted it out for a bottom basin price. I'm not exactly sure what the price is, because honestly, it's the WSOP, while we care about it as poker players, when it comes to the actual trading business, it's just a drop in the bucket. But I'm sure it was a few hundred million or maybe even less, and it got moved out. And that could be one of the things that the lower-end investors, quote-unquote, may actually sue for. Yeah, so so they're, they're moving out the valuable assets and, and selling them to their, to their other companies at, at a huge discount and then uh, screwing... The, the company that that they want to uh, that's going to be declaring the bankruptcy and the investors that have yep. the, the debt over there. So, so that's a big man. Now, JSTAT has clarified in chat, by the way, that Caesars Interactive Entertainment is actually part of Caesars Growth Partners. It's it's not a separate company, which I, I didn't know. So, uh, but one of the things with that is that it may not be affected by the bankruptcy or the prepackaged bankruptcy that's being called. So, when we start talking about that. I'll get more into exactly what this quote-unquote bankruptcy is because, honestly, it's not a bankruptcy. It's more of a, I'm going to strong-arm you, and you're going to have to agree. If not, we're going to fuck you over so bad it's going to hurt. <laughs> so, so now for the average player, and this, that's what most of you are probably wondering here. I mean, some of you are probably very interested in this whole story and the intricacies here. Some of you are probably just saying, forget all this stuff. Uh, I just want to know, is Caesars going to still be operating? Is there going to be a World Series? Uh, what's going to happen to my rewards credits or my, my seven-star status I have there? What's going to happen there? Well, we can't say for sure, but the total rewards uh, program at Caesars is very popular and very valuable in itself. And for them to dismantle that or take away people's rewards credits or status would create such an uproar and drive away so many customers. This would be 
literally shooting themselves in the foot. So I don't think you have to worry about that. Uh, this is, is really more uh, of an attempt to restructure the company, screw certain investors, and then try to operate from there profitably. So they're not going to... As, as a player, you're probably not going to see that much of a change. The the prop, You're going to see some that are sold, like the, the showboat that got sold, and you're going to see some things you know, like that occurring. And if you're working there, they're going to be laying off a small percentage or like 1% of the workforce is going to get laid off. But even if you work there, there's a 99% chance you, you're not going to get laid off. But uh, as a player, this is going to be mostly transparent to you, at least for now. But uh, in the future, yeah, if they continue having trouble, if they if then after this they can't operate profitably or if these lawsuits against them succeed... Then, then they could start being trouble for the company. Then they have to start looking at other solutions. Right now, they're trying to play the shell game, which which handicap me will describe again shortly. And uh, so, so to answer your questions, people, there will be a World Series in 2015 for sure. Uh, maybe the Rio will be sold by then. It's possible it will be somewhere else. Right now, it's still scheduled for the Rio, but we got a long time until late May 2015. Uh, but there will be a World Series. It will still be owned by Caesars. It's highly unlikely that Caesars will sell the World Series between now and then. Though that's something that could happen in the future. And uh, and, and I believe you don't have to rush to spend your rewards credits because I think the total rewards program is going to stay as is. They may make separate nope. changes to it. What? You don't think so? Wait. No, 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 no. So it will be. I actually posted this in the thread that was started, I think, by JSTAT or by you. The total, uh, the total reward credits is hands down, uh, besides their real estate, the second most profitable thing that they have going for them. So those will hands down stay, even though it sounds counterintuitive because it's basically the casino owing you money. It also is their player base, so how they earn money. So our research for the company I work for, which is a huge bank, they believe that that is uh, right after the real estate that they have, the best thing for them. So if you have, let's say, like a million dollars in total uh, total rewards, you're fine. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to sweat over it. I, I wonder it's, what not the, like, it's not like full tilt. Not like full tilt. You know, it's funny. I wonder what the highest reward credit balance anyone has. Uh, I had 2300 at one point. I don't have it anymore. I think I have like 1700 now because I spent some at restaurants. But uh, I wonder what the highest total of RCs people have. Basically, each reward credit is worth a penny to spend at their properties. So uh, I, I doubt anyone has a million-dollar total reward. How about Alan ball. Kessler? Like, <laughs> I thought he played slots just on a – on like a daily basis, from what I hear online and whatnot. Well, the, the thing with these RCs, you don't earn them that quickly, unless you you play these promotions, which aren't don't happen all that often, where you get like ten times. Uh, you actually earn them pretty slowly, and uh, you're you're basically getting one reward credit for every uh, like a video poker every ten dollars you spend, and, and I think you get one for every five dollars you spend. And uh, when I say spend, I mean cycle through the machine. At, uh, at at slots. So if you think about it, you you cycle through ten dollars in a video poker machine, and you get a penny. So that, that's pretty lousy. That's not uh, you're not going to earn very fast that way. Now I'm not saying you're going to lose ten. I'm not saying every ten dollars you lose, every ten dollars you risk. So 
it takes a long time to earn these. And I, how did I earn twenty three hundred worth? Well, because I was playing a whole lot on those uh, Texas Hold'em bots, and and it built up. But and and I played a good deal, deal of video poker. But you really would have to play an obscene amount to get like really really big money in rewards credits. Like for someone to have like six figures in rewards credits, I think it'd be pretty tough. Hmm. So anyway, that, that's not really important here, but but yeah, uh, I'm glad you verified what I had to say that you don't have to worry about your rewards credits or your your status there. That if you're you know if you're planning to go and try to earn diamond or seven star next year, go ahead and do it. Don't don't be afraid that it's going to be worthless. And you know, I think the only way this goes away, the total rewards program, is if Caesars gets into such trouble, and this wouldn't happen this year or next year. This could be like way down the line. If they're in such trouble that they they pretty much have to dismantle the company and just sell off their assets, and and let other companies take it over. So like if MGM had to buy Caesar's Palace, then uh, I bet they still convert an equivalent to their program. But but there I could see things you know maybe changing. But other than that, they're they're not going to dump this program. So I just posted that actually in the chat. Um, the only way that you would lose your your credits would be if the whole company got split. Because even if they sold, let's say, Caesars Palace and a few other high-paying companies, they would still keep the reward credits just because of the value for the company itself, for the player base. But the only way that you would actually lose it is if they break up the company and Apollo would, they would never allow that. Like, Apollo would have to go under and then this would happen. And Apollo, well, like, unless there's an Armageddon, Apollo will never go under. So I don't see so that to the ever happening. Explain to the listeners what Apollo is. So Apollo is a uh, private equity asset manager firm, and they basically hold a huge, huge piece of Caesars equity and ownership in itself. So the truth is, is that uh, Apollo basically runs the show, and they've been involved in other private equity purchases. So... Not a lot of people probably, uh, Apollo is nuts. Hold on. So, well, Apollo is, all right. Sorry, I was in the chat. Anyways, um, so Apollo's been involved in a lot of these, these leverage buyouts, which Caesars was. Uh, they were also involved in the TXU, which is a gas company buyout. And it's essentially, they basically set the market. Tonight. So if, what? No, sorry, go on. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so they basically set the market. So when Apollo comes to our desk and says, hey, uh, you guys hold this bond. This company needs to be restructured. We'll give you X amount for this bond. Accept it, or we're just going to destroy the bond price and the equity price, and everyone gets fucked. They have the assets to do that. They have the power to do that. So I do not foresee that ever happening. Okay. It's It's... It is what it is. I mean, it's just one of those things where if Apollo goes down, it's like uh, 2008 all over again, but like 10x worse. Yeah. Well, there's there's one other company that I think could possibly bail out Apollo without uh, changing very much. Parliament in New York City, the world famous Apollo Theater, where dreams are born and legends are made, <laughs> is proud to present its showtime at the Apollo. It's 
white people have ever like actually been to the Apollo for the show? I think there's like uh, white wait, you, wait, you, yeah, black dudes like white girls. So I'm saying like a white guy. Like, has has there been a white guy in the audience here of the Showtime at the Apollo ever? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I would not bet on it. I live in New York, and you could not pay me. Well, is Showtime at the Apollo in New York? Yeah, it was at least. Well, yeah, you couldn't pay me to go there. <laughs> okay. All right, this is not going to happen. I'd rather not get that tonight. Or All right, so, All right. so uh, anyway, uh, Caesars is uh, safe at the moment. Uh, Danny Deadwood saying in chat, as of June 2014, Apollo managed over $159 billion of investor commitments across its private equity. Wow. So yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. Alrighty, so they basically run the show. Yeah. So Caesars for the moment Caesars for the moment is uh there's a lot of shenanigans going on, but as the average player you're not gonna see all that much as far as uh change when you're there. And you're not gonna see the World Series disappearing and they're not gonna be shutting it down. I just got some information here that uh, Morton Downey Junior when he was alive did a series of shows from the Apollo. So I, I guess there were white people in the theater. So, Morton Downey Jr., I don't know if you guys remember when uh, he used to make a big deal about smoking on his show. In fact, he would blow smoke in people's faces just to irritate them. And uh, then he had lung cancer. So then he, at the end of his life, he turned around completely and was like a, an anti-smoking activist and felt stupid for encouraging people to smoke all those years. And uh, it's, suddenly this chick wasn't so funny anymore when she got lung cancer. And and what's interesting also, a lot of people don't know, is that uh, Morton Denny Jr. was married, at the time he died, he was married to a stripper that he had met, uh, presumably at a strip club. And uh, that stripper, who was much younger than him, she's not that young anymore, she's older than me, but uh, the, the after he died, not that long afterwards... A DJ, a radio DJ who worked in L.A. and New York, known as a Magic Matt Allen, uh, went and scooped her up. Like right after, right after Morton Downey Jr. died, he just like went and scooped up Morton Downey Jr.'s ex-wife, or not even ex-wife, his uh, his widow, and uh, they're still married to this day. So, Morton Downey Jr. trivia for you there. Anyway, I I always thought that Morton Downey Jr. was a poor man's Wally George. Anyway. So he, he kind of ripped off Wally George's act. I felt bad for Wally that uh, Morton Downey got more national exposure. So anyway, uh, people in the chat I see a totally unrelated story here. I'm just seeing it mentioned. People are afraid for Judonk, a.k.a. Tide. He he not only hasn't been seen. Yeah, I, wait, I was actually going to bring that up on my way out after the call. Um so a few things. One, hope he's not dead, even though I hate him and he's annoying. He is entertaining. Two, you need to ban Tuna because he's a piece of shit. Unless that's your dupe, then you can't really ban yourself. No, and uh, no. three, shout out to the Workers' Party. Okay, very but good. Go so, so, uh, we've had some controversy on the forum. Number one, uh, you know, as I said, Tide has disappeared, which he has before and blamed Mexican Internet, so you never know. But he has disappeared. He didn't play in the 1K free roll, which is odd for a guy who knocks himself out to play $2.20 tournaments on PokerStars. Like, why not play this $1,000 free roll or $750 free roll, whatever it was, with, with 76 people? Uh, he did not show up for it. 
No one has heard from him. And uh, there's a guy named Tuna who has been trolling Tide recently and trolling other people. And, and people were sure he's a dupe account. And I pointed out, hey, look, way back during the World Series in 2014, Tuna bought 5% of me across the board. And I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't buy, like, like first of all, I wouldn't be taking pieces from a fake account. Obviously, you know, that guy at the time was not harassing anyone or trolling anyone. He was just like a nondescript user of the site. So this guy really did buy 5% of me. Yeah, some people suspect maybe it was me buying my own pieces and setting this up for later and claiming this was making them real. But believe me, I put up pretty much the same percentage of myself available every year. This like 40% type thing on each event. So there's no way I'd waste 5% of that on my own buying of it because I really do want to sell 40%. But you, you may not believe me, but I, I'm not Tuna. I know who it is, obviously, since he sent me money. And you know I'm aware of who it is. I know his real identity. Uh, I, he's not a dangerous person. Uh, he's he's basically having fun with what he's doing here, and and uh, I, I'm not going to let it go too far. People don't have to worry there. So anyway, uh, someone uh, handicap me. I see you're asking in chat. Is uh, is the identity of Tuna? Is it Mrs. Wattellis? <laughs> Which uh, Mrs. Wattellis do you mean? Do you mean uh, is it my mother? Uh, well, well, I was just being presumptuous. Uh, the future Mrs. Will tell us okay, okay, ever. Yeah. You not bet, you not your mother. Mom. Well, it could be my mom too. You know, it, uh, well, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. It's not my mom. It would be funny though if my mom was on there trolling Marty. Like, like what if my mom was on the site like totally trolling people? Like that's the well, last. That's, per- that's the last person anyone would suspect. But uh, actually, my neither of my parents has an account on Poker Fraud Alert. They're aware Poker Fraud Alert exists. They're aware this radio show exists. They they actually listen to the show sometimes, which which makes me feel funny because sometimes I like I like talk about like you know meeting girls off Yahoo in, in the '90s and having sex with them or getting blowjobs in the Denny's parking lot. Like like I say things like this, and then I go, "Crap, my parents listen sometimes." And like I like you know I, I know they don't think I'm like you know pure and innocent, but at the same time I like it's a strange thing for to think about them hearing, but. Anyway, uh, that's uh, it's not my parents. It's not it's not Benjamin's mom, who does have an account on here, by the way. Oh, what's the account name? It's actually Benjamin's mom. <laughs> so she hasn't uh, posted uh, in a long time, and the 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 picture of the woman that's shown there is not really her. So nor is the baby shown actually Benjamin. So that account hasn't been used in a while. But she does lurk on there. She does lurk on the site. She might even be listening to the show tonight. Hello. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> so, okay. So, anyway, uh, do you have anything further to add about Caesar? So, now, who do you think is going to get screwed here, the the smaller oh. investors? Yeah. So, um, here's how it's going to work. So, currently, the Alco, which is the piece that will, quote, unquote, file, but it's really going to be a structured filing, so it's not really a filing. It's more so we've already agreed to terms. This is just now a legal matter. So what's going to happen is that the first lien loan holders, they will get a par on their current outstanding loan amount, right? Then there's the first lien bond holders. So when when you go to a credit cap structure, it's usually loans, bonds, and there's like a mez, which is like a mix of like random bullshit. So it could be loans, could be bonds, could be random shit. Then there's preferred shares, and then there's common shares. That's like a very simple uh, debt ownership cap structure. Uh, 
So what's happened there is that the first lien bondholders, so the first lien loan holders will get all their money back. The first lien bondholders will take a small haircut. But that small haircut is is basically close to what the bonds are valued at now. So um, research and trading has theorized that it's going to be roughly uh, rather than par, which is the price of 100, it's going to be given out at at 94. So at 94, uh, a week ago they're trading at 91. It's actually a lot better for the first lien bondholders. Now the next uh, group of investors in this cap structure is the second lien loan holders. So what happens there is that these guys are number two in line. Uh, these are the investors who, quote, unquote, really get fucked. So what's going to happen is that uh, when they go through this prepackaged restructuring, if, if this group, if they don't agree to the terms of saying, hey, uh, you're going to take an equity, an equity commitment into the company, which basically means we're going to give you stock for your for your outstanding loans, which the common person will think, well, no, that's fine, that's great. But if the company went through a real uh, a real bankruptcy, those um, their equity now will be worth shit because there's no way after they sell the companies that are being held under the opco that they will get any money back. So by turning their loans into equity, they go much lower on the debt cap structure and they become the subordination of the higher uh, of the higher up debt. So what's essentially what's going to happen to them is that they have a choice. Either you take an equity portion or we go through bankruptcy and you will legitimately get a zero. So obviously, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to say, all right, fine, you pulled my arm. I will take the equity portion and I'll take it. Uh, hold on. Aren't the second leads already trading around 20, 22% right now anyways from part? Uh, so four more just said that in chat. Aren't the second lien holders trading 20, 22% away from par right now? I haven't checked the price today, but that that sounds about right. And the truth is that they should be trading close to zero because that's what they really are worth. What uh, What's happening to this prepackage is that they'll be getting equity, which, yeah, it's fine. It'll have some value, but it's nowhere near what those loans are actually held. Now, before you start feeling bad for them, keep in mind that the interest rate on these loans, they were getting roughly around, at par, these loans are, uh, were paying out around 11.5%. At the price that they're at now, you're looking at like close to like 25%. So whoever owns these loans now aren't the aren't the original people who actually issued the loans and bought them when the issuance was made. So the people who own them now, they were just doing it for the yield, and you should not feel bad for them. They knew it was coming, and what they wanted was basically the interest rate that was coming with the price that was so depreciated. Okay, so well, that's, that's interesting. It's that's, not that horrible. That's, that's, so you're saying the people, so the people getting screwed were. Uh... Basically, trying to take advantage of the situation themselves and and one hundred percent, one hundred. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting point there because uh, you you think about the the you know, quote small investors getting screwed, and you think of uh, you know like like little banks or or other uh, little guys that you'd feel bad for 
that that uh, the big Caesars is screwing, but it, it's actually uh, you know one shark eating another here. So, all right. Well, thank you for the right. insight on this whole thing, and uh, we're going to move to the ultimate poker topic. But I think we've uh, we've learned a lot on this. I know I have, and uh, a very interesting segment. All right. So on that note, um, I will I'll get off, and I'll listen tomorrow at work when I have time, as usual. Um, can I say a few things before I leave? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Which I already said. Yeah. Uh, first off, I hope Zod comes back to radio. You should really push for that. I would donate a lot of money to the free rolls if that was the case. Two, you need to really just ban tuna until Todd comes back. Um, once they come back, you know, whatever. Three, you need to kill Crypt. Not ban him, but actually pay six old Pete to go kill him because he's crazy, so you know he'll do it. And finally, sh- shout out to the Workers' Party, and we know that you super accounted uh, during the tournament. Cheers. Have a good night, everyone. All right, Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't with that tournament that we just had on Sunday because, you know, I never play during the free roll tournaments for the radio because I'm doing the radio show and I can't pay attention to the tournament at the same time. So this is like the first time people have played with me on there. And then I just run so well. It's actually good I didn't win because then they'd really be mad. But uh, everyone suspects, hey, you know, I have to be a super user. But I think the problem is that if I had gone the opposite way and, like, went out really early then it would just be embarrassing for me. I'd look like a big fish. And, and when it came time to buy pieces of me in the World Series, they'd say, look, you can't even make it past the first few people in this event on Poker Fraud Alert, just this little recreational event. You know, why would we ever back you in the World Series? So either I look like a fish or I look like a cheater. So really I, I couldn't come out well unless I finished kind of in the middle of the pack. Then maybe I'd be okay. Definitely a company that's not okay is Ultimate Poker. They're gone. They're absolutely gone. And this is big news. Not just for Ultimate Poker itself, not just for Nevada legalized online gaming, but for the entire effort to bring legalized online poker to the U.S. A lot has been learned from this. Now, I'm not going to project a bunch of doom and gloom for online poker in the U.S. because it still is viable. But we've learned some things from observing what happened here. We've learned some things from this company's failure because they failed for a few reasons. Now, last week on the show, I was talking about the Hail Marys they were throwing to try to save the site, which were pretty ridiculous. They were they tried to offer, uh, for about a week, uh, free 2-5 no-limit games where you pay no rake. Then they had some kind of stupid $10,000 bad beat jackpot where you, you get quad 10s beat or better, you get $10,000. Like, I mean, I guess these are okay, but it's not going to save a site that's just about done. So these weren't even good Hail Mary attempts. But that's pretty much a microcosm for the whole company, which was not well-run from the start. Something that always confused me about Ultimate Poker, and I've said this several times, but I've got to say it again because it ties in with this whole segment. Something that always confused me there was the fact that they had competent people working there, they had intelligent people working there, and yet they couldn't put it together. Yet their result was failure, yet they did stupid thing after stupid thing, and you you wonder, how do you have a group 
of such capable people that produces garbage? How does that happen? How do they all combine to make garbage? How do they all combine to fail that badly? Is this just like bad chemistry there? Or was there something more to it? Well, there was something more to it. As I reported last week, upper management was interfering with the knowledgeable people from basically doing the things that the company would have needed to have been done to succeed. So they had knowledgeable poker people working there, but those people were thwarted by upper management who told them, no, you're wrong. We know nothing, but you're wrong. And so went the company. Now, what surprised some people was the fact that Ultimate Poker completely, or Ultimate Gaming, which operates under Station Casinos, they're owned by Station Casinos, but they operate as a separate company, that Ultimate Gaming shut down completely, why not just leave a skeleton version of itself around for when California and maybe other large states legalize online poker soon? Why just give up? They already had given up in New Jersey, where they never could get really going. They never had more than 3% of the market there. And some wondered why, you know, after shutting that down, why not just keep the Nevada site going even if they lose a bit of money? Uh, They've already spent so much at this point. You know, why not just bring the operations down to the minimum but still exist and wait for California to come? We'll get to that. But it surprised many people, myself included, that they just completely gave up. They completely threw in the towel. They said, we're done. It's over. It's over. We're we're not going to continue anymore. No more throwing good money after bad. This effort is over. Every penny we spent on this is now down the drain. It's gone. Companies closed. It's all gone. Not station casinos but Ultimate Gaming. Now, the claim as to why this failed was uh, that it was the market's fault. And you heard that in the videos I played of uh, Chairman Tom Breitling of Ultimate Gaming. You heard in the videos that he was saying that the market was much smaller than expected, that they, they expected a lot more players in New Jersey. They Redstone, Brant Snedeker, and the Titans are teaming. I'm sorry about that. I, I try to go to a website. I try to go to the Las Vegas Review Journal website to look at something in the article about this. And this, I hate those ads that just pop up sound like that. I hate them. I hate autoplay sounds on web pages. Don't do that to me. God, I hate that. It's not even like a pop-up. It just it just auto-plays. There's probably some kind of plug-in I can find to stop that. But Anyway, I apologize for that obnoxiousness. Uh, but uh, here's what Tom Breitling said regarding their closure. Uh, he said that the current state-by-state approach to legalizing online gaming has created an extremely cost-prohibitive and challenging operating environment. These factors have combined to make the path to profitability very difficult and uncertain. Consequently, we have decided to cease operations. And he he was basically saying a form of this in his videos back in May, that the, the market's just a lot smaller than they expected, people have a lot less interest in online poker, and also what he called the pirates the existing illegal online poker rooms like Bovada still offering games to U.S. players was also hurting them. Now, these things are all true. The market was a lot smaller than expected. I mean, I I knew the whole time. 
I wish I could have bet on the market size. I knew it was not going to be huge. I knew that uh, there's going to be a lot less interest in online poker when it came back in a legalized form because of a lot of factors, including the red tape, including the fact you can only play against players in your own state and you know, the difficulty in registering and, and, and getting geolocated. It's just too hard for a lot of people to want to deal with. But uh, regardless, these companies expected from their studies, inaccurate studies from their studies, that there'd be a much larger market for everyone, and there isn't. So that's true. That hurt them, no question. It's true that the fact that they only can have player pools from their own states, or even if they combine, it's only three states at the moment, New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada. It's a very small percentage of the U.S. population that is just not a large player pool to begin with. That's also true. That also hurt them. The fact that other sites you can still play on if you want to play online poker. You don't have to play on these legalized sites. You can still play on Bovada and play against people from all 50 states. That's also true. Did that hurt them? Yeah. So why was Tom Breitling's characterization of why they closed inaccurate? Why was it incorrect? Well, let me put it this way. Um, let's say... Let's say you're married. And uh, let's say your wife has uh, some qualities which you find to be unappealing and many others would find unappealing. Let's say uh, your, your wife uh, is, is a big slob and uh, the house is always a big mess. Let's say your wife uh, goes shopping and spends too much money too often. Let's say your wife uh, isn't always very nice to you and uh, says a lot of critical things. And you get divorced. And someone asks you, why'd you get divorced? And you say, well, my wife, uh, she left the house a mess all the time. She wasn't nice to me. She spent too much money. So that's why we got divorced. And you say, oh, all right, well, I feel bad for you. You got a bad situation. Looks like you married a lousy woman. But what if this guy left out the fact that he cheated on his wife all the time? And that she caught him. And she found out he's had sex with 20 other women during the time they were married. And that's why they broke up, even though the stuff he's saying about her was true. The marriage actually broke up because of the 20 women he was caught cheating on her with. If he left that out, that'd be a pretty big omission. Now, if he were to tell the truth, he could say, it's because she caught me cheating on her, and in addition to that, I wasn't happy with her anyway because of these reasons. That'd be accurate. Just like with Ultimate Poker Closing, these factors that Tom Brightley mentioned are all true and contributed to the failure, but they were not the reason for the failure. They were just contributing factors to why they could not overcome their own problems. See, let's take a look at some of the illegal online sites that are offered to U.S. players especially ones in the past. There were a lot of sites that made money despite having horrible customer service, pretty bad software, um, basically abused all the players, and still made money and still had loyal players there. Why? Because there were a lot of fish. Because the games were good, and the grinders were willing to put up with pretty much anything 
uh, as long as the games would still be good. If you had some slick marketing to bring in the fish, if you had the fish making the games good for the grinders, the grinders would be loyal just because they made the money there and they put up with any kind of abuse otherwise. That was the old model, but now there's much less wiggle room in the legalized market for these reasons that have been mentioned. The market is small, there aren't many games available, you have to do things well to succeed in the current legalized online poker market. You're not going to succeed in spite of yourself anymore in this market if you're running an online poker site. You need to do things right or you're going to fail. And Ultimate Poker, they did everything wrong. They really did. The only thing they did somewhat right was customer service. Everything else was a disaster, including internally, was really a disaster. And uh, it's all come out. Now, you have to understand, Ultimate Poker was an ill-fated, mismanaged mess from the start. Uh, It was a classic tale of clueless and arrogant upper management. And they were steering a sinking ship into a whirlpool. Pretty much is what they were doing. And anyone trying to correct the course of that sinking ship that's going toward the whirlpool, uh, the management would slap the hands away of anyone who tried to come over and and take the wheel and and move the ship away. Someone says, hey, I see the ship's going towards a whirlpool. It's going to sink. Let me steer the ship away. And they go, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. Keep your hands off. We're going this way. And that's basically what happened over there. Now, their first blunder, they paid $25 million to acquire a software outfit called CyberArts to develop the Ultimate Poker software, proprietary software. That software was terrible. It, uh, it was not designed by anyone who knew online poker very well. A lot of very basic features that existed in online poker as far back as 1999 did not exist in this software. There were a lot of stupid bugs there. There were a lot of stupid features that uh, were incorrect for an online poker room. And despite that, and despite the fact that I think they even knew their product wasn't very good, they were obsessed with going first to market. They wanted to be first to market. They wanted to beat everyone else to the gate. And they did. April 30, 2013, they launched before WSOB.com or anyone else, and they were so proud of themselves, except they offered everyone an inferior product. Being first to market is only useful if you have a product that people will like. Because being first to market, what that gives you is the ability to build customer loyalty before anyone else can. And in the perfect world, you'll build the customer loyalty, And then by the time other products come around, even if they're better than yours, people will say, well, I'm happy here, so I don't want to change. I like this, so why should I go to this other product? Why should I go to this other site if I'm happy over here? That's what they were hoping. But that only works if you have a good product. If your product sucks, if your product is very flawed, then what happens if you're first to market is people say, hey, well, I kind of like the concept of this whole thing, but they're doing it all wrong. I hate this. I can't wait for their competition to show up so I can jump over there because they're doing it all wrong. Right now they're my only choice, but I can't wait till I have a choice. And that's the way all the pokers on all, all the players on Ultimate Poker felt, is they felt they could not wait to get out of there. They could not wait to go to other sites where the software is better and more stable and where things are either done right or done mostly right. So 
you can't be first to market with an inferior or flawed product. This product was very light on features, full of bugs, and they just they expected loyalty despite that. So that was already an inauspicious start for Ultimate Gaming. They paid $25 million for that start. Uh, they also did a very poor job correcting the issues brought to them by their player base. You have to listen to your players. You always have to listen to your customers or your audience. I listen to the audience on this show. In fact, I'm going to listen right now. I'm going to look at the chat room right now and see what they're saying. Druff, how much would you say that the top players are making on the legalized U.S. sites? Uh, I don't know. Uh, not all that well, not all that much unless they have the. I haven't looked at the New Jersey ones, but the uh, Nevada ones. Uh, high games don't even go very often, so not that much. Maybe in New Jersey they do, but I, I don't know. But anyway, I, I'm reading the chat room because I'm trying to give the listeners what they want. I'm trying to give the listeners the feeling that they can interact with me. If they're going to listen live, at least they get to interact. If I'm doing something on here that the listeners don't like, I'll try to end it fast. Like, I've had interviews before that the listeners hate in the live chat room, and I I, I take note of that, and I will sometimes cut the interview off as early as I can. Um, I I don't want to be too rude and hang up on people in the middle of interviewing them, but, like, I try to take listener suggestions, and I understand that I'm not doing this radio show for me, I'm doing it for the audience. So, you always have to appreciate feedback from your customers and not say, you don't know what you're talking about or you're wrong. So, Ultimate Poker ignored the issues brought to them by their player base. Now, it is true that unlike the illegal online poker sites, they can't just change things on the fly in their software. Every time they change anything in their software, they have to get regulatory approval to put that new version up. But, that doesn't explain why, when they released new versions, when they actually did release them, why they did not fix a lot of their bugs, why they did not add a lot of simple features that had been missing, why they did not address these concerns in the releases they did do in the future. Now, William Reynolds, who used to be an Ultimate Poker Pro, and and was very bitter after he left there, uh, he used to make fun of them all the time after that. And uh, one of the things he mocked them about on Twitter was that he sent them a long list of things to improve and that they implemented none of them but instead were more obsessed with silly social media campaigns like me versus you and and uh, uh, YouTube videos of Tom Breitling talking about what he's learned. He's saying, why are you guys bothering with that crap instead of actually focusing on fixing the software? But But sadly, Reynolds was pretty much right that they did not implement any of the suggestions that were made to them from the player base. Their marketing was also really poor. They refused to accept the fact that they were slipping into the abyss and take drastic action. Even their very, very final Hail Mary attempts were stupid. Their entire business plan was pretty much to stay the course and hope things just get better on their own. No groundbreaking promotions, no hiring of prop players, no insane rakeback deals or rewards for starting games. Uh, they just sat there and, and fell apart and never did much to stop it. And the biggest problem there was something internal. And that was that the players, the, 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 sorry, the employees, the competent employees that were there 
the ones that were not in upper management, the ones that did have experience in online poker, many years' experience, were handcuffed and could not make the changes they wanted to make because upper management told them they could not. I was told that CEO Tobin Pryor was a big offender of this. Tom Breitling himself was an offender of this. Basically, upper management would not let the poker people be poker people. They overruled their suggestions. They overruled their innovative ideas and solutions. They laughed them off. They broke commitments. And basically the ship was being steered by people who had no clue on how a successful online poker site should be run. So what is tragically hilarious about the whole thing is that Ultimate Poker mainly failed because managers with little to no poker experience refused to listen to those that they had working for them with 10 or more years experience in the industry each. So they hire guys who know the industry and then say, I don't want to listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, why even hire them then? Why hire Terrence Chan to come work for you if uh, if you're not going to listen to Terrence Chan? Now, speaking of Terrence Chan, Terrence Chan, he's a pretty soft-spoken guy. He's he's someone that you know you meet him in person and he's quiet. Uh, He's he's not someone who's ever going to be loud and boisterous at the table. He's not someone who's going to shout at you after you bad beat him. He's very polite. He's just kind of like the, the quiet, polite Asian guy. Very good player. He's a smart guy. Uh, you know, he's well-liked in the poker world. He's not my friend, by the way. I'm not friends with Terrence Chan in any way. But uh, Terrence Chan went to work there in kind of a junior executive position. He was a, uh, I think, like director of customer service, and and that's part of the reason the customer service was pretty good there is because they actually had someone managing that with experience, and they weren't really focusing on it at Ultimate Poker, so they didn't really interfere with him personally with that. But with everything else, it was a disaster, and, and Terrence watched it happen, and then they started to. Uh, create some personnel issues for Terrence. So rather than speak for Terrence, I'll let Terrence speak for himself. I'm going to play you some parts of his interview. And I'll comment on each of these key parts. It's a 36-minute video he made after Ultimate Poker's closure was announced. He had already left the company back in July, so he didn't get fired. He quit back in July. But now he's commenting on it after it's closing. Now, first, this is Terrence Chan talking about the criticism that William Reynolds and Randy Dorfman were levying upon Ultimate Poker. He kind of calls them out a little bit, which I didn't think it was very fair. I, I, I thought that these guys had good points with what they were saying. And even Terrence himself kind of admits that, as you'll hear. But uh, he explains why it wasn't as simple for employees like him and others working for Ultimate Poker to get things done uh, even after these player suggestions on 2 plus 2 and elsewhere on how to improve the software situation. You know, Will Reynolds and Randy Dorfman, I think uh, most strongly among them and they've tried to paint this picture of, oh, well, we told them this was wrong and they had to fix this, but they just wouldn't listen. Instead, they did this and this other thing. 
And while I actually agree with the main points of, of guys like Randy and Will about what needed to be done, I don't think they were wrong. I think they were right. I thought it was kind of a bullshit cheap shot that for them to act like like nobody in this company uh, knows what's going on, and we're just we're just ignoring all of the players in this. Because guys like myself and Chris Danik and Scott Yates and and lots of people in this company who have played millions of hands of online experience. We knew what w- what needed to be done. We had every range of players. We had supernova elites. We had you know grinder types. Uh, you know, we had the the amateur wannabe pros. We had the recreational players who didn't care. Like we really had all of these people in the company because they wanted to work for the company. You know, whether whether they're back. You know, when it comes to the the serious players, you know, most of them have been former pro poker players. But you know, when it comes to the more recreational or amateur players, you know, they maybe you know whether they worked in accounting or compliance or or in customer support or something else. Um. They they were people who played online poker, and we regularly sought those opinions across the you know across the board. What we lacked was the political pull, the ability, and the 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 time and the technical resources to to get all of these things done. And so, I don't completely agree with Terrence here that it was the lack of resources, and you'll even hear Terrence kind of contradict himself later in the video that I'm going to play where he explains more about why they weren't getting things done with implementing these suggestions, but the part where you really should listen and where he does say something completely accurate, that they lacked the political pull. Now, they're not talking about actual politics, like they're not talking about uh, um, political pull with uh, Harry Reid or politicians in Nevada. He's talking about office politics. He's talking about that the people who are in the know, or were in the know at Ultimate Poker, such as himself, such as Chris Danick, such as Scott Yates, a.k.a. Scotty Y, from, you know, who once worked for PokerStars. In fact, all these guys worked for PokerStars at one point. He's saying here that they did not have the influence with upper management to get these ideas implemented, that upper management pretty much told them, you guys don't know what you're talking about, we're not letting you do what you need to do to make things better. Here is Terrence Chan talking about product development and why all these annoying bugs in Ultimate Poker, including easy things to fix, why this didn't get done, why there were so many suggestions on the Ultimate Poker thread on how to improve the software and why they just didn't do it. Why didn't it happen? development meetings as much as possible because I, I knew that we weren't going to get anywhere because of that. And um, one of the things that, that kind of upset me is is there was definitely a tendency towards getting excited about new and exciting things and features and developments as opposed to, you know, trying to capture markets, market share that we didn't have as opposed to you know, holding on to the people who we did have and not doing the things that drive them away. Uh, uh, bugs drive people away tremendously. Um, and I don't think we focused enough on that. Uh, we basically had one um, really great QA guy named Ali. Um, so I'm not going to go into Ali, the great QA guy, but right there, there's your explanation. Upper management says, hey, We've got to keep developing new features, which is a joke because the the whole piece of software was so lacking in features that they quote new features were things like waiting lists 
which uh, have existed since the 90s. <laughs> so, I mean, their new features were a joke. But, but he's basically saying that uh, they were obsessed with constantly bringing new features to the product or trying to change the product to appeal to people who aren't there yet and not caring about what's wrong with the existing product and the things that are driving people away from the existing product. So uh, people like Terrence Chan are saying, hey, before we look to try to capture new customers, let's fix the things that are driving away existing customers. Because if we don't have existing customers, then you're going to have zeros all the way down as far as who's in games. And when the new customers come, even if you have great features, there's going to be no one playing the games. So there's no point. We have customers at the moment. Let's fix these bugs. Let's fix these problems. Let's do what we need to do to keep the existing customers happy and then try to build on it. And upper management's like, no, 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 no. Let the existing customers go. Uh, we'll, we'll put in these new features that'll bring new people to replace them. And you saw how that worked out. So that's the real reason. It wasn't that they lacked the technical resources. Now, sure, if they had unlimited software people working for them, yeah, I, I guess they could have done both. But they took the resources they had and chose to use it to develop new features rather than fix their own software. So they were happy to let the existing players leave. They thought they could just replace them with new people they'd attract. Not a very smart business model for an online poker site where you need players to attract players. And no one realized that here in upper management. Now, here's an interesting part of the video where Terrence talks about the salaries there. Because you might ask... Why didn't they have more software engineers working for them? Why didn't they have more software people? Why couldn't they afford to do this? They could afford $25 million for this software company. Were they really that broke? Were they really that cash-strapped? Terrence says no. Terrence says that they were just spending incredibly inefficiently. Startup, and, and I don't, I, I, I'm not privy to the numbers and the accounting, but we're, I feel like we probably spent too much money. Too many people... Uh, too many salaries, too big of salaries. I mean, I think that I did great work there, but for startup, I was probably paid too much, and I was nowhere near the salaries of the people who are above me. And I really kind of feel like for startups, you know, people with high executive positions should probably be paid by performance, um, you know, whether that's in terms of equity packages or whether that's in terms of, you know, performance bonuses. But I just, I was really disenchanted with the salaries that a lot of the top people made. By the way, this was eventually made public by accident because uh, somebody was careless and left, you know, a list of salaries lying around. You know, because I feel like, you know, while the people at the bottom have to, you know, make rent and pay the bills and do all that kind of stuff, I think upper executives, you know, largely you become an upper executive because you've made money and been successful in other areas. So I feel like performance should probably be tied a little bit um, more to that. But we had a lot of bodies. We had a lot of heads. And we, you know, I personally offered to take salary cuts for the people that I thought on my team that I deserved. And I'll talk uh, a bit more about that later on because it's in a sort of separate topic. Um, 
Market. I was talking about marketing, and marketing is is not something I will talk too much about because it's not my area of expertise. It's not something I was intimately involved in. I want. Okay, let's stop right there. So basically, he was saying that uh, they were overpaying certain people, especially the upper managers, who really weren't doing much, weren't bringing a lot of value, and then a lot of the lower people were getting underpaid. So they just weren't spending efficiently. He felt that even his own salary was too high. So he he didn't like watching that. He didn't like all this money being wasted on useless salaries for people that really were not very essential to the company and were really were not doing very much or were very effective. And he was saying even like for himself that he was making too much and that people under him were being underpaid and that he even offered to give up his own money to correct it and they wouldn't do it. You'll hear more about that uh, shortly, but uh, you'll you'll hear in a few seconds he talks about ideas getting shot down and the corporate culture that existed there and how the managers were contributing to the company, the ones making all the money, uh, where they were in the whole process and what they contributed to Ultimate Gaming. went to a lot of the meetings, but mostly I kind of listened, you know, once in a while I might contribute an idea that might be unique for poker players. But I, I'm certainly not an expert in there. But I did witness a lot of of ideas getting shot down for various reasons, some for regulation, but also because I think there was a lot of application of the, the old school brick and mortar model to this new internet business, and I think that was a bit anachronistic. You know, and I'm talking about everything here. I'm talking about poker room promotions, casino promotions, advertising, social media, branding. Like, literally everything um, was influenced, you know, to say the least, by, by station casinos and, and the top brass there who, who, you know, they had an old school approach. Station casinos have been very successful in Las Vegas with uh, their, their 17 Vegas locations. They're a great locals joint. So, you know, it is useful to, to cultivate some of that, um, but at the same time recognize that this is a new new industry and a new thing. Um, you know, there's a, there's a story, there's a legend about uh, one of these executives sitting through a meeting, and I wasn't... Now, if you've been kind of tuning him out, listen to this one, because this is really a good example of the problems that were going on there, what he's about to describe. There for this, but, um, you know, he, this guy was, you know, they were they were showing him the new un- unveiling of the, the redesigned website for the casino in New Jersey, and, you know, they had to, like, explain things to him, like what a nav bar is, or, you know, what Flash is, and that kind of stuff. So there's this really lengthy walkthrough of this website redesign, and at the end of it, you know, sits there and he comments, I think the logo needs more purple. <laughs> it's sort of like the crazy thing um, that that was part of our culture that somebody could sort of sit through an hour and say, "Well, you know, you've clearly put a lot of thought into this, but it needs more purple." This is the kind of stuff. Like, I'm I don't mean to come off as someone who feels that like, oh, all you know, your employees should just run around it and do kind of whatever because it's, it's it's certainly not the case you 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 have to have guidance and you have to sh- you know show people where it's not you know where they where they might be failing but i but i think it's sort of to some extent like you know if you back a poker player you know to use an example that most people reading this will understand 
if you back a poker player, you're not necessarily going to agree with every decision they made on every hand, right? So, you know, they might come to you on a break and tell you, you know, they, they played this hand this way, and you might say, no, I, you know, I wouldn't have played it that way. But in general, you wouldn't want to kind of swoop in and, and change the hands that they're playing, you know, like, you know, just, like, interrupt them, mid, you know, even if such a thing were allowed in poker, you wouldn't want to, like, interrupt them on the turn and say, like, no, actually, we're going to raise instead of fold here. Because they have an overall global strategy, and if you're willing to back this person, much as if you're willing to hire an employee and keep an employee, you are implicitly trusting them to make good decisions overall. And so when you just kind of pull and prod needless things like, oh, well, I think your cutoff here should be 10-8 suited instead of 9-7 suited, that's unnecessary. It's 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 unhealthy. Um, so, you know, overall, one of the big problems with the company is that, that most people weren't able to do what they needed to do. And this is the kind of stuff that, that a lot of people in this company had to deal with. Um, for me, for my part, I was... So, he's basically saying there's a big micromanaging problem. They were out of touch and micromanaging, which is a terrible combination. That, that's what he's trying to say. They have idiots at the top that have no clue about online poker that when asked for feedback say, oh, I think the logo needs more purple. So they can't give any kind of intelligent feedback. These are not managers who are in touch with the project. You know, there's managers who know everything about what's going on and just aren't the ones physically doing the work. But they know exactly what needs to be done and you show them what they've done and then they'll give you good guidance and say, okay, we'll go back and change this and this and you'll actually do the work. That's a good manager. A lousy manager is someone who has no clue about what needs to be done, about what is good, what is bad, about the product that you're working on, about the requirements, about the customers that will be using the product, and then try to manage anyway. So it's a combination of both an out-of-touch management team and a management team that micromanaged too much and wouldn't even put the faith in those that did know. So you can imagine how unhappy everyone was working at Ultimate Poker, watching it get deader and deader, watching the site become a ghost town, and watching every idea they had to try to get it out of that state being shot down. Now, here's where Terrence talks about how they did not keep to their commitments and promises to certain employees, including ones working under Terrence, and how they were really, really spending inefficiently while screwing people who had worked really hard and done great things for the company. Failure. Um, We failed to hang on to a lot of good people, and we failed to reward a lot of good people. There were false promises, uh, you know, promises that were never kept about, about salary reviews, performance reviews, um, and, a, and a lot of what frustrated me was a lot of the people that this affected were people who were willing to come in the door at the low price. So back when a lot of people were really bullish on Ultimate Poker, they said, or online poker in Nevada, or regulated online poker in the U.S. in general, they came in and said, hey, I want to be a part of this. I'll come in at a low salary. So people were coming in at, at, at you know, high 20, you know, like low 30K a year, you know, low 40K a year, these kinds of of salaries that were a lot less than they had made in their previous job because they wanted to be a part of something. And then we... Look at that. Uh, People came in 
to work at Ultimate Poker, and I wonder what they would have offered me if I went to go work there, but people came in and took fairly meaningful jobs, not management jobs, but fairly meaningful jobs, and got paid 28000 to 40000 a year, which is not very much, obviously, especially to have some kind of skilled job. It's not like they're getting paid that to flip burgers at McDonald's. They're, they're getting paid that to work at an online poker company in some sort of uh, yeah. position that's important. So... Terrence is already unhappy watching people under him work for these peanuts while he's getting paid a ton of money. But these people were brought on basically being told, hey, hang with us and your salary will go way up. This is where you're starting, but it'll go up from there. Don't worry. So listen to what happened. Makes a lot of sense. And and I'm, I'm guilty of giving this promise as well because I saw it happen at Stars. Because... At Stars, I hired people for five dollars an hour who now make well into the solid six figures. Um, you know, ten years later. So I, I did sell this dream because I, I believed in it. Um, you know, obviously, I never you never put it that way that you can go from making minimum wage to hundreds of thousands a year. But just putting the idea out there. But there were people who who took low salaries and performed really, really, really well. And they were never compensated um, for it, which which definitely frustrated me. You know, there would be people who I legitimately thought probably may, deserved 80, 90, or 100 a year. Um, they were being paid like 40, and then they would get a raise to like 45. And then, you know, HR or, or senior management would say, well... You know, it's just not reasonable to give them a raise to 70 or 80 because, you know, that messes up the structure. And I said, well, are they worth that much? And they said, yeah, they probably are. But they'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, they really got there. They really got there. They'll get there eventually. Uh, this is uh, a lot of corporate BS. Let me tell you how... Uh, raise pools work, in case you're not familiar. A lot of you who work in large corporations are very familiar with this, but uh, if you're part of a large company, when it comes time to decide upon raises once a year, they have a big pool of money that is for everyone's raises combined. And once they have that pool of money, they divvy it up among all the employees, and once that raise pool money is gone, then that's it. So they can't give any one employee too much of a raise, or otherwise uh, there's not enough left in the raise pool for everyone else. That's how large corporations work. And it can be a problem when you need to reward someone for good performance. You know, some of the best performers, you want to give them a big raise. You can't because of this raise pool thing. So you try to give your own employee a big raise, and and your boss above you says, no, 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 you can't do that. Because, you know, you're giving this guy already a 10% raise, that's, that's the most we could possibly give. So even if the guy deserves a 20% raise, a 50% raise, a 100% raise, you can't do it because it's out of the raise pool. And yet at the same time, they don't have the same sort of restrictions on other expenditures in the company. You know, the company can hire new people for whatever salary they want. That doesn't come out of the raise pool. They can spend money on marketing needlessly or waste money that way. They can waste money on, on stupid promotional materials within the company. Uh, or stupid company retreats, or uh, you know, insert whatever you want here, and, and you know, spend money on consultants at a ridiculous rate per hour. 
They can do all that, but raises, no. You, you can't spend more than the raise pool. So that's one problem of working for a big company. I had that personally happen to me in the mid-1990s, where when I started working, it was during a recession. Then we came out of the recession while I was with the company. Salaries went way up, and yet they couldn't catch your salary up with the industry standard at that point because of this raise pool BS. So I had people coming out of college directly out of college, 22-year-olds, who were making more than me to work in a lower position than me because they were new hires and they weren't out of the raise pool where they couldn't raise my salary above that. So guess what I did? I left. That was the only solution. So this does happen at large corporations, but large corporations at least have some benefits to them. Large corporations are stable. You're unlikely to find the company just out of business one day. So you have the stability. Large corporations tend to have better benefits, more vacation days, more paid holidays, a better sick leave policy. So you have the stability working for the large corporations, but you have no flexibility. The good thing about startups is that they have flexibility. If someone's doing a really good job and they deserve double the salary they're making, they can get paid that. Startups sometimes become very, very successful very quickly because they are not hindered by the bureaucracy of large corporations. So Ultimate Gaming was supposed to act as a startup even though it wasn't a startup it was a startup within Station Casinos but it was supposed to act as a startup but unfortunately because it was operating under the umbrella of Station Casinos, it combined the worst features of a startup and a large corporation. They had the bureaucracy of a large corporation and the instability of a startup. Not a good combo, and that's what was happening here. And and that's why the people working under Terrence who came in there working for Peanuts and worked their asses off and did like 100k worth of work for 28k, Terrence is like, hey, let's kick their salary way up now. They've demonstrated they can do a great job and they've been very important here. And, and they said, no, 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 we can't raise them that much. It will, it'll mess up the whole structure of salaries. No, 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 no. You know, we, we can only raise them 10%. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, I admit the guy's worth 80K, but, but we're going to pay him 45K because he's currently making 40. And, and if we raise him from 40 to 80, that'd be 100% raise, and that's too much. We can't give 100% raise out of the raise pool. See, you can't do that in a startup. People get pissed off and they leave. But I think that was a lie. I think basically that the people who were well compensated were the people who negotiated well at the beginning. People who got in at the beginning, to be perfectly honest, when the company had more money. Like I said, they paid me a pretty high salary. Um, and they paid my replacement probably, I don't know, a third of that um, for doing pretty much the same job. So that, that frustrates me. And at the same time, we spent a bunch of money on advertising and external consultants um the consultants in particular they they spent obscene amounts of money you know amounts that make me ill uh because i knew that a lot of these top contributors were being underpaid you know you know whether it's marketing consulting companies or technology consulting it was it was very frustrating to see you know to hear about the bills that these companies are charging and at the same time know that we can't throw an extra 10,000 at um somebody that, that, you know, the entire company thinks is a superstar. What Terrence is describing here is a problem in corporate America in general, but again, should not have been happening at a startup. A startup should be uh, immune to these problems because they shouldn't be operating like a large corporation. 
But um, it, it's what's known as the consultant problem. And I noticed this, again, going back to the mid-90s when I first worked a corporate job. I was not getting paid very much because I, I was out of college. I, I got a master's degree, but it's, I wasn't directly out with a bachelor's degree. But it was my first like real full-time post-college job. I, I wasn't paid that well. And when I found out what the consultants were making, who were basically doing the same job as me, I couldn't believe it. They got paid many times what I was being paid. And many times what even more experienced people than me were getting paid. The consultants were making bank, and the regular employees were not. And I asked my boss about that. I said, what's with this consultant thing? Like, like why, you, why do you have this consultant here? And he said, well, you know, we originally hired this consultant because uh, we had we needed to bring someone really quickly to finish this project who was competent to do it, and we couldn't go through the long hiring process. So, so the consultant you can hire right away, so we hired him then. He did a good job, so we left him on the team. I go, well, okay, yeah, sure, but well, you, know, you should tell him either transition to become a regular employee at, at regular salary, or we got to let you go. You can't just keep him on as a consultant. He's like... Yeah, I know, but you know it's too much trouble, and and uh, you know he probably wouldn't want to stay under those circumstances, and everything is working out well here with the team. We don't want to disrupt it, blah blah blah. And, you know, he said this because it wasn't his own money he's spending. It was a very large company's money. They were willing to pay this consultant this much money. He's already on the team. He's already established himself. So now this guy's got a super high-paying job. who's actually making more than his boss by far making more by far than anybody else in the office. And this wasn't just this one office, this one job. This happens all over corporate America. And the reason these consultants get in the door is because basically these companies are are lazy. They, the companies say, hey, rather than going through the difficult interview process and trying to pick the right guy for the job and going through the whole HR process and, and, and trying to bring in an employee, and what if we don't need this guy after the job is done and then we have to worry about firing him? Let's just hire this consultant who we know can do the job, already has a good track record. We can just hire him and fire him when we want. And yeah, he's a little more money, but we're only going to have him on the short term, which sounds good in theory, but the problem is... Uh, often these consultants just stay and stay and stay and stay for the reason I explained. Or in Ultimate Poker's case, they hire these consulting companies to do jobs that they could have hired many, many employees to do and probably do a lot better. So, like, they need to understand the Nevada online poker market. So they go, okay, well, let's look at a firm that specializes in that. Okay, we found one. Okay, so they hire this marketing consultant firm who charges a fortune, pays them, and the company comes back, duh. We found out that uh, the market's not as big as you thought it was. But if you have a free roll on Sunday, uh, you may get some more of the market. And uh, here's our bill for, for finding that out. Here's our bill. And then you look at the bill. And uh, you get the bad news that the bill is... One million dollars. Yeah, so I, I don't know what they paid these consultant firms, but Terrence said it made him ill. It made him ill to see these bills from the consultant firms, the consultancy firms. And I believe it. I believe Ultimate Poker wasted huge sums of money on companies that did them very little good. Technology consultants, marketing consultants, when it all came down to it, they did very little. 
they came back with some BS report, and, and that was it. And it, it bottom line didn't help the company much. Where, where for that same money, they could have either hired a ton of new people or paid the existing people who deserved it a lot more and made them even more dedicated. Instead, the, the people just got pissed that their commitments weren't kept and they left. So he's thinking, hey, you know, why can't all this money being sent on the, spent on these useless consultants be paid to keep very dedicated employees that everyone agrees have done a great job? What happens when you don't do that? Well, those employees leave, and that's what happened. So Terrence was, was so frustrated watching this occur. If we had a failing in this company, it was, it was not a failure to invest in technology. I think that's just a symptom. It was a failure to invest in the people. And a lot of these people were truly invested in the company. You know, There were a lot of people who, who started, like I said, myself included, who were wide-eyed and super excited to be on this frontier, who, have, who were just as passionate about poker as me, if not more, and really, really wanted to be a part of this, and really wanted to be something, and tried their asses off. And at the same time, there were people... So, I understand that, because it seems like a dream job. If you're an online poker player for many years... And then you see that the shady industry of online poker that was operating illegally in the U.S. now becomes legal for certain sites who follow the regulatory procedures and get licensed. And you can be part of this brave new world of legalized online poker. You can use your experience in the industry all these years to now be part of of a legal emerging industry. It's like a dream job. It would have been for me, too. I don't even want a job. And I, I would have loved this job. At least until I would have run into these situations. But, you know, in theory, I would have loved a job like this. I understand why Terrence was excited. I understand why the people working for Terrence were excited. They thought they were going to come in and create something great together with their cumulative knowledge of the industry. And instead, they were screwed salary-wise, and they were screwed respect-wise in the workplace, where basically their ideas were all shot down. That's all I'm going to play of Terrence Chan. If you want to see more, just uh, go to YouTube and type in Ultimate Poker Postmortem. <laughs> and you'll find the video. You can watch all 36 minutes of it. Interesting stuff. Guy 23 is just ranting in the chat. If you want to call in Bad Guy, do it right now. Call in. If you want to rant right now you, uh, on the phone, I'll give you a chance. Call in. People in the chat room are already pissed off that I spent too long in this topic. But uh, I, I thought it was important. And the reason it's important is because this is what not to do. We're either going to have success in the industry or we're not. Oh, let me let me finish one thing, not about Terrence Chan, but about why didn't they wait until California legalized online poker, which will probably happen about a year from now. It'll probably be legalized before a year from now, but it probably won't be available to play until like early 2016, is my guess. So why not wait for that? Why not go for the California prize? Why not partner with some Indian tribe in California and give it another shot? They've already got the software. They've already got the structure. They've got everything. They think, why not just tough it out in Nevada and come back to California? The reason is 
And number one, Station Casinos doesn't want to throw any more money into this. They're done. They said, you've wasted enough. You've wasted tens of millions of dollars on this. I, I don't know how much they wasted. I, I'm guessing probably around you know, 40, 50 million probably got wasted on this whole thing. So they, they probably don't want to waste any more money. They don't want to take any more chances. They're just done with this project. They're just done. Number two, I think they're wise not to wait for this because I don't think, even in California, I don't think the market's big enough to support a whole lot of successful rooms. I think there's going to be a few successful rooms, and that's it. Maybe two, maybe three in California. That's all I think the market can support in California. Even if big state like California, I think there's going to be a few dominant rooms, and that's it. And the few dominant rooms will be the ones that either uh, have an existing brand that uh, people are familiar with, like World Series of Poker.com, or ones with the really superior software like PokerStars, if they're allowed in the market. But, uh, you know, you, you get some small Indian tribe, you, you associate Ultimate Poker with it, there's no way people are going to want to play that. They just, they won't have the player. They won't have the player base. No one's going to want to go there instead of the big boys. So, I think they realized it. I think they realized that even if California does legalize online poker, they're going to be playing fourth fiddle here. Just like they were in New Jersey. New Jersey, the problem wasn't so much the market size, they just couldn't get more than 3% of the market. It's not like they had 30% of the market and didn't make enough money. They had 3% of the market at most in New Jersey. So that, that's why they gave. That's why they gave up. 775-4055-775-372-8355 is the number. Let's, uh, let's see if I got any text messages here. 775-372-8355 is the text number of this show. To be honest, we haven't really gotten very far in the agenda yet, and this show's been going on for over two hours. Um, I see Raw Wolf is trying to call in and talk about uh, gold and silver again. I don't really see how that fits into this show. Uh, this is from the 505 area code, New Mexico. Shout out to Brandon for being a micro grinder. LOL, fuck you, hockey guy. From the 619 area code, Druff, I just used a Groupon, jewing it up. I blame Obama. This is from yesterday when the show was supposed to be. Jeez, Druff, is there a show tonight? Well, you found that out. This is also from yesterday, from the 586 area code. I hate it when my ass hairs start to grow back in after shaving. Hashtag itchy asshole problems. I want to be honest with you. I've never had that problem, but I, I've had a similar problem. I'm not even making this up. Um, I hate when nose hair grows back after you cut it. I have like a nose hair trimmer and I trim it to where my nose hair is not sticking out or anything, but when it's growing back, it's like so itchy and so irritating. It's like It kind of feels like you need to pick your nose, but then when you try, it doesn't help. It's like a constant itch in your nose. So I, I know how you feel, itchy ass- asshole guy. I know. I understand. All righty. Move to the next topic here. Daniel Coleman, a limousine liberal, 
has been lashing out at Phil Hellman. This is what he said. This is his uh, latest uh, rant, Daniel Coleman. Always has to bash something. Always has to uh, go on about things in poker that he feels are wrong. But not the way I do, but like uh, the guy bashes poker that it's, it's not a wholesome activity, it's not healthy, we should be doing other things that are more important with our lives. Uh, people lose too much money in poker that can't afford to. In the meantime, the guy makes millions by playing poker. In the meantime, the guy's like 23, 24 years old with many millions to his name living in Costa Rica because people couldn't afford to lose money to him. But he was happy to take it. Anyway, this is what he had to say about Phil Helmuth. wrote, it's embarrassing that we have to share our profession with whores like this guy. After I win the one drop, he immediately comes on stage to shake my hand in front of a camera and congratulate me. As if he's the gatekeeper to the poker world and welcoming me inside. It is truly pathetic that a 40-year-old would behave the way he does at the table, not to mention how spineless he is. Just willing to take any sponsorship, regardless of the company's integrity. Hey, anything for a payday. He's referring to UB here, by the way. Really makes me sad to think there's a chance some people may look up to this charlatan. People of his attitude and character are a cancer to this world. Pretty harsh words for Phil Helmuth. Now, it's true that Phil Helmuth is very, very self-involved. Very self-centered. The only thing Phil Helmuth cares about is anything that affects Phil Helmuth. Phil Helmuth really lives in a bubble where only he matters. And and that's actually his real personality. That's not even a, an act he puts on. What is an act is, is his table talk. You know, when he goes to the table and says, uh, I'd win every tournament if it wasn't for luck. And, and when he berates people for uh, you know, bad beats they put on him. That's all part of the poker brat act. That's part of the brand he's created for himself. I don't mind that so much because, you know, he's made himself a, a household name in poker thanks to those actions, and, you know, it, it was it's a good gimmick. It may be an annoying gimmick to some, but it was a good gimmick. It worked for him. So I'm not gonna I'm not going to hate on the guy for having a good gimmick. But where I will hate on the guy was for UB. Now, he didn't sponsor, he wasn't taking a UB sponsorship. He was part of UB since the very beginning. He owned part of UB. He couldn't just say, I'm not going to represent UB anymore, because he owned part. I, I mean, guess he could have, but I'm saying that he couldn't just walk away from it in the sense of, I'm not going to wear your hat anymore, and you're not going to pay me to wear your hat. It's not that simple. He owned parts of UB. But that's not an excuse. Phil Helmuth, as soon as the cheating came to light, and I don't believe Phil knew about the cheating. I don't think he would have approved of the cheating if he did know. But once it was clear what had happened there, he should have immediately done whatever was needed to be done to get himself out of the company. Sold his part. Even walked away from his part. If he was a man of integrity, he would not have supported that company at all anymore. He would not have worn their hat again. He would have said to them, either get all the cheaters out, either rip this company apart and uh, and sell this to, to uh, you know make a real sale, not the fake sale they did but have a real sale to different ownership that will not cheat, and that was not involved in the cheating, either do that, or I'm not going to put my good name on the line anymore. That's what I would do. And it's not like Phil was hurting for money. Phil had plenty of money. It's not like he needed to stay with UB to feed his kids. 
what Phil did with UB, the, the way he rationalized this to himself, is Phil, Phil Helmuth is not a villain. Phil Helmuth is not an evil guy. Russ Hamilton was an evil guy. Russ Hamilton knowingly cheated people, knew he was, and was proud of it. Russ Hamilton would cheat anyone if he could. Russ Hamilton would cheat his own grandmother if she was still alive. Russ Hamilton was happy to be a cheater. He didn't feel guilty. Phil Helmuth is not the same. Phil Helmuth would not have approved of the cheating. Phil Helmuth did not know about the cheating. Phil Helmuth, however, found out about the cheating, and he didn't have enough enough ethics to take action of some sort to disassociate himself with the site that had done the cheating. He decided that closing his eyes will insulate him from the problem. If he doesn't look into it, well then, it's okay, because he can legitimately say he didn't know. Just like Joe Seabach, Phil Helmuth showed a, a shocking lack of curiosity about the situation. Here, he was promoting UB all over the place, before and after the scandal, and he didn't care to look into what was really going on, even though you had people like Scott Bell and Haley Hintz doing incredible work, ripping apart the whole thing, and and showing who was really guilty and what was going on, and, and Phil himself could have provided a lot of insight that even those two didn't have, and Phil didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to know about it. He didn't want any of the details. Phil felt that by closing his eyes and by ignoring it, by not speaking on the scandal positively or negatively, by just keeping his mouth closed and keeping his eyes closed, that it somehow separates him from it. That he can say, I had nothing to do with this, and be honest about it. He can look in the mirror the night before going to sleep and say, hey, I didn't cheat, I didn't know about the cheating, I still don't know about the cheating, if there was cheating, I don't approve of it, and they tell me the cheating's done, they tell me that those people are gone, who were involved, so as far as I'm concerned, it's all good. But that's not enough. He chose not to know. So Daniel Coleman's right here. You shouldn't look up to Phil Helmuth because Phil Helmuth continued to plug UB years after the scandal, years after the cheaters were still there with the company. He promoted it, and what happened was not only did they cheat the first time, they cheated the second time by just stealing all the money on deposit, just like Full Tilt did. So when Black Friday happened, turned out UB had no money, and everybody who had money on there, those people who watched Phil on TV, and thought, wow, Phil Helmuth is so funny, he's so cool, my favorite poker player. I'm going to deposit on this UB that I see on his hat. And you deposit there, and then Black Friday happens, and guess what? Your money was never there. They stole it. Black Friday is not responsible for you losing your money on UB. They stole it, and then Black Friday exposed the fact that they had stolen it. Phil has never answered to that, to the cheating, to why he stayed so long. He just won't talk about it. And that's not right. And while we cannot legally force Phil to talk about it, he shouldn't be looked up to as a pillar of the poker community, given that he did this and will not answer to it. So Coleman's right about that. But there's more to the story. At least a little bit more to the story. Phil Halmuth responded. Phil Helmuth wrote on Twitter, 
on November 13th, six days ago. Ouch! I was just attacked big time on a terrific poker forum 2 plus 2. It was personal and it hurts, but I'm proud of the man I am. What does that mean? Like, that doesn't answer any of this. Phil Halmuth also said that um, he believes 99% of all poker players love him, and he couldn't recall a time when he ever called out another player on a public forum. Yeah, that's not what he does. He should call out more people. He should call out the people involved with UB. But, despite this pretty outrageous statement back from Phil, Daniel did not keep firing for whatever reason. Daniel said, Maybe a bit too harsh, not exactly a cancer to society, but definitely doesn't do us any good when people like him shamelessly self-promote and try to sell themselves to you. Listen to five minutes of that podcast, and it got me upset listening to him prop himself up, and the interviewer was definitely feeding the ball to him. It brought back the bitter taste I had in my mouth when he came up on the stage after the one-drop win and actually said, congratulations, welcome to the poker world, kid. <laughs> That's funny. I could only picture Phil doing that. You know, I have a good Phil, Phil Helmuth story, actually, where uh, after he had won, I think, his ninth bracelet, he was walking around the Bellagio aimlessly that night just so people would see him and say, hey, Phil, congratulations. He had no reason to be walking around, but he walked around laps the, on the Bellagio just so people would see him and say congratulations. I'm not even kidding. He really did that. I watched it happen. <laughs> congratulations. Welcome to the poker world, kid. So he goes on to write, Never met him apart from that, but I'm sure he's an overall nice guy, just not really a fan of how he conducts himself. I understand I came off poorly attacking Phil in the way I did, but let's agree that I was harsh and over the top and didn't do myself any favors. I'm happy to have a dive taken in my almighty 2 plus 2 street cred as long as we can focus on some parts of the discussion on Phil's overall behavior and his representing of UB. The media has rewarded him for his antics where I've where he's always belittling the other players and constantly talking about how great he is. I am sure this has had a positive effect on his bank account, but I'm not willing to go over and cheer him as a, on as a savvy businessman for it. If you're going to profit off being a classless, whiny brat, there should be some repercussions such as people calling a spade a spade and telling you like it is with the hopes of putting enough pressure on a person to change their ways without isolating them further. You know, I, I don't agree with that part. If the market wants to see it, if the public want to, wants to see him act that way, then... You know, as long as he's not harming anyone too much, then fine. You know, if he just wants to berate them on TV saying they're a donkey, big deal. Big deal. It's not like he's punching people out. It's not like he's insulting people's mothers or their girlfriends. He's just, you know, saying, you played this hand stupidly, I'm great, you suck. I mean, uh, it's not a big deal. That's, that's part of poker. He said, as for his time at UB, if I was him, I don't know how I could live with myself after being the face of a company whose owners were super-using and stole millions from players and then shutting down and not paying its users. I would love to have him come on 2 Plus 2 and answer questions about everything. I, that, that's what he should focus on. Forget this, how Phil acts at the table. That's, you know, that debate's old and played out, and nobody cares. It's, the big thing is here, the indefensible thing is, is the UB part. Now, an interesting third part of this story now. An interesting third part. There were some Phil Hellmuth defenders in the 2 plus 2 thread saying, hey, maybe, maybe, if you're going to be criticizing Phil Hellmuth so much, maybe we should look into your life, Daniel Coleman, and see if there's something that you are not very proud of. So Coleman 
I guess, assumed that this person who posted that probably knew about his secret. Daniel Coleman has a secret. Or he had a secret. It's not a secret anymore. Daniel Coleman was once a multi-accounter. I guess maybe he thought some people knew about it, so he admitted to it. But, uh, yeah, just like Z. Justin, Justin Bonomo, just like... uh, who else? Uh, J.J. Prodigy. Daniel Coleman admits he was a multi-accounter. He said, I, multi-ac- I multi-accounted tournaments online when I was 17 and 18 with a me-against-the-world mentality. I think he still has that mentality. I've made plenty of mistakes, but I know I'm far from that person I once was. So that would put it around uh, 2007, 2008. And that would have been after the big scandal involving Justin Bonomo multi-accounting. So all that happens, and he's still doing it. So so this is more evidence that Daniel Coleman is just kind of guilty about his poker success. You know, he thinks back that he was once a multi-accounter, maybe did some other unethical things, uh, you know, watched various people go busto playing against him, and he's like, oh man, this is... I feel so bad. I did a lot of bad things. I'm watching people go broke playing against me. I, you know, all this money I have, is it, you know, is it really right that I've won it? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say poker is a terrible game, and the poker community is awful, and the and poker is so predatory, and it's a waste of time. And I'm going to do everything but give back the money that I made. So he admitted he was multi-accounting, and someone posted what they claimed was a screenshot of a chat of WCG writer, aka Doug Polk, and Daniel Coleman, where Daniel Coleman said. I'll play the poker, the PCA, maybe the Aussie Millions next year, and then the $100,000 one-drop in main event of the World Series, and then it's all over. They don't deserve me. They've been treating the greenie too rough lately. (laughs) I I don't know if that's real. I don't know if he really said that. They've been treating the greenie, he calls himself that because of Mr. Green 13 is his name on 2 plus 2. They've been treating the greenie too rough lately, so he's going to retire. Could be a fake uh, copy and paste, but uh, just thought I'd put that out there just in case uh, he really is considering quitting. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Someone's saying call Phil Helmuth and get some answers. You know, the problem is that uh, I, I didn't save his number. Uh, I think probably Brandon has it. Brandon used to be the guy always giving me the phone number of all these things we'd call. And uh, he'd also be the one getting the phone numbers. So now that he's not the co-host anymore, now I I don't have numbers to call anyone. I I should have saved these, knowing that uh, perhaps Brandon wouldn't be a permanent host here. But so be it. I'll give a call to Phil sometime and ask about this. talk about Ron Paul a bit. I don't want to spend too long on this topic, especially because it's uh, show's been going for a while, but uh, Ron Paul once ran for president, more than once ran for president, uh, he made some statements that were pro-online gambling. Uh... This is what he had to say about Sheldon Adelson. 
It is an open secret, at least inside the Beltway, referring to Washington, D.C., that this legislation is being considered as a favor to billionaire casino o- billionaire casino owner Sheldon Adelson. He's referring to re- legislation to uh, ban online poker legalization. Mr. Adelson, who's perhaps best known for using his enormous wealth to advance a pro-war foreign policy, is now using his political influence to turn his online competitors into criminals. Supporters of an internet gambling ban publicly deny they are motivated by a desire to curry favor with a wealthy donor. Instead, they give a number of high-minded reasons for wanting to ban this activity. Some claim that legalizing online gambling will enrich criminals and even terrorists. But criminalizing online casinos will not eliminate the demand for online casinos. Instead, passage of this legislation will likely guarantee that the online gambling market is controlled by criminals. Thus, it is those who support outlawing online gambling who may be aiding criminals and terrorists. That's a great point. He's saying the online game is going to keep continuing, either illegally or legally. So if you really don't want the terrorists to get money, if you really don't want the criminals to get money, then support regulation of online poker. Don't just let the foreign sites that operate illegally stay there and have the market because we can't control them. So if you're trying to stop online poker from being legalized in the U.S., all you're doing is making it easier for the criminals to get money this way. And he's right. He's also saying that the people who are claiming that they're against online poker's legalization are just doing so to impress Adelson, hoping that uh, he will donate to their cause in the future, which is probably also true. Or maybe he's paying them directly right now to have this opinion. He also goes on to say, even if the argument had merit that allowing states to legalize online gambling undermines laws in other states, it would not justify federal legislation on the issue. Nowhere in the Constitution is the federal government given any authority to regulate activities such as online gaming. Arguing that, quote, the states' rights justices are creating new federal crimes in the in terms of the Tenth Amendment, which was a limited power, federal power on its head. So what he's trying to say here is that uh, the states have the right, according to the Tenth Amendment, to decide if they want online gambling or not in their state. And uh, he's saying the Constitution says nothing about giving the federal government authority to regulate activities like online gambling within states. States really do have a lot of rights on their own in the United States of America. There are 50 different state governments in the U.S. that all have their own laws and regulations, and there's only certain areas where they cannot tread, where they cannot pass laws that uh, contradict federal laws. But he's saying the federal government does not have authority here to tell states what to do. This is not their business. States have certain rights, according to the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. The Tenth Amendment was there to limit federal power over the states. And he's saying that uh, they're violating that. They're violating the Constitution by nosing into whether a state wants online gambling within its own borders. So, good for Ron Paul. Calling out Sheldon Adelson, calling out the opponents of online gambling, pointing out the hypocrisy and nonsensical arguments that they are presenting. 
He also says that the proposed ban on, on internet gambling is a blatantly unconstitutional infringement on our liberties that will likely expand the surveillance state. Worst of all, it is being done for the benefit of one powerful billionaire. Anyone who thinks banning online gambling will not diminish our freedoms while enriching criminals is making a losing bet. The proper role for government in America is to provide a national defense, a court system for civil disputes, a criminal justice system for acts of force and fraud, and little else. So he's saying, hands off federal government, you're overstepping your bounds. I agree. Well, Amaya Gaming, who owns Poker Stars, making a lot of changes on Poker Stars recently, we've talked about it on other shows. They are looking to buy B-Win Party, maybe even through a hostile takeover. And that would not be good at all for online poker, because you don't want one company basically having a monopoly on all the big sites. You, you just don't. It's just You need competition. Otherwise, uh, just like any situation where there's a monopoly, the, the consumer loses out. They know that they can do what they want and you can't just go elsewhere. Or you can't go elsewhere of any quality. But B-Win Party has acknowledged because the media was reporting that they may be bought soon and that there might even be a hostile takeover. They're acknowledging this was the brief that they put out, B-Win Party, who of course owns Party Poker. The subject of the briefs is called media speculation. Further to recent media speculation regarding a possible bid for BWIN Party, the board of BWIN Party confirms that it has entered into preliminary discussions with a number of interested parties regarding a ver- variety of potential business combinations with a view to creating additional value for BWIN Party shareholders. Such discussions may or may not result in an offer being made for the company. However, as all such discussions remain at a preliminary stage, there can be no certainty as to whether or not they will result in any form of transaction with any party. Further announcements will be made as and when appropriate. So, the stock price of BWIN Party, which is publicly traded, uh, it was at... um, about a British pound, which is uh, about a dollar sixty U.S. per share. After it was heard that they're going to be acquired by another company, their price of their stock jumped about twenty five percent up to about one pound and twenty five pence per share, and supposedly. Amaya has made a one pound forty five pence per share bid for BWIN party stock. So might even be a hostile takeover on the part of uh, Amaya Gaming and th- this won't be good. Won't be good. You, s- you see how Amaya is already treating poker stars. They-, they they don't care about the poker community. They don't care about keeping the poker game, you know, just pure poker. They don't care about the grinders. In fact, they don't even want them. All this is bad for pro poker players, and 
if they take over party also, you're going to have even less choice. So, not good. But it might happen. In preparation of that, Amaya has already sold a different network they own. They own the on-game poker network, which has existed for a long time. But they they were the existing owners of it. They decided that they, they don't really need the on-game network anymore. It's a relatively small network. And you know, they have the two crown jewels of online poker, Poker Stars and Full Tilt, so why, why do they want to mess with a little operation like on-game when they can set their sights on a large site like Party? So maybe to raise cash for the acquisition of BWIN Party, they have sold on-game to a company called NYX Gaming, and uh, they sold it for... One million dollars. Well, no, not that, but uh, ten times that. Ten million dollars they sold it. So now NYX Gaming owns On Game, and uh, presumably this is in preparation for acquiring BWIN Party, or at least attempting to. I think there's a good chance it's going to happen. Well, something disturbing has happened to another poker network. This is not a U.S.-facing network, but it's it's still worth acknowledging and hearing because it really applies to all networks, and that's the way online poker networks view the way they make money. Now, let's focus on live poker for a second. If you walk into a casino, let's say you go to the Commerce Casino, and you sit down at a game. Before you sit there, you have to go buy chips. So you buy chips, and you win a pot. And let's say they rake the pot $3. So they take $3 out of the pot, drop it down, and give you the rest of the pot. When you go cash in your chips at the end of the session, the amount of money that you will get will be less than what you would have had if there were no rake. So, you know, let's say you won 10 hands at $3 raked each, you will cash out $30 less than you would have paid if there was no rake. So they directly made $30 from you on the rake by taking $3 out of each pot, which is rightfully yours, taking $3 out of that and dropping it and keeping it for themselves, to when you cash out, you get... Uh, you, know, you you physically carry out 30 fewer dollars than you would have if there was no rake. So that's how they made money. You directly paid them $30 for the privilege of playing there through the rake. Okay? And that that's always been how it is, and that's how poker rooms make money. Now, why am I giving you this very elementary concept? Well, online poker is a bit different. It shouldn't be, but it is. Online poker, how do the operators make money? See, it's obvious in this example I gave you how commerce makes money, and that is when you walk in and when you walk out, uh, the chips you buy, even if you cash out with more than what you came, then you took them from other people who bought it in. So basically, when you walk out with $30 of chips from you that they took, they made $30 right then directly from you. Okay? But online poker is different because you're not cashing out after every session. What you're actually doing is depositing playing when you've gotten your account to a point when you think you don't need that much money online anymore then you cash out then they have to send you the money 
and that's how you make money, but you don't cash out until you feel you get to that point. And maybe, in fact, you'll never get to that point. Maybe you'll never quite get to where you feel comfortable cashing out, and then you'll lose the rest, and you'll never cash out. But let me bring up an example. Let's say you have a bunch of winning players on the site. And let's say, hypothetically, every single fish leaves. So it's you and, say, uh, 200 other winning players on the poker site. That's all whoever comes on there anymore. It's you and 200 other winning players. None of you have deposited any time recently. All of you have a lot of money in your account. So you have plenty of your money in your account. You, you're not going to deposit. There's no more fish to deposit, just, just the 200 of you. So you decide to play each other. And you keep playing and playing and playing each other. And you know sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. There's no more fish in the game. It's pretty much just who runs the best. And uh, And they're raking, of course, the normal amount. But how much is the poker site making in this circumstance? Let's say this goes on for three months. In those three months, how much has the poker site made? You may say, well, how do I know that? I don't know how much they've raked. I don't know how much you've played. I don't know how many raked hands there are, how much they charge. That's not true. I know exactly how much money they've made during those three months when it's just 200 pros playing each other who have a lot of money already on the site and have not deposited. They have made exactly... Zero point zero. And you say, whoa, 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 that's not true. Every time they rake from that pot, even if it's pro against pro, they make money. But no, they don't. They should, but they actually don't. Because they, the whole time, have been holding the same amount of money. The way they make money is when people deposit. When people bust out their credit card or their bank account or whatever way they get money on the site and they transfer their money in the U.S. or wherever they're playing over to the poker site. And that's how the site makes money is when you send your money to them. Unlike the live card room example where they're just temporarily holding your money for you and then you take it right back when you're done with the session, here they make money by collecting money from you in the form of deposits or from other players in the form of deposits. And... In their perfect world, they get to keep all that money, and new money keeps coming in. In their perfect world, nobody ever withdraws. So every deposit ever made there becomes their money eventually through the rake. What they don't like is when grinders win and take a lot of that money back out. Then they have to take money they're holding and send it to you. Then you say, wait a minute, that's my money. They shouldn't mind that. They're giving my money they're holding for me. That's the way it should be, but that's not the way it is. That's what the problem was on Full Tilt. That's what the problem was on UB. That's what the problem has been on many sites that have screwed people this way, where they see the money they are holding as theirs and not yours. Even if your balance says $10,000, they don't consider you really have $10,000. It's their $10,000 that they only have to send you if you ask for it. So if they don't have new deposits coming in, they say, hey, we're not making any money. Or, we do not have money coming in. Even if we could, if they're doing it right, what they would do is they would transfer money from the separate bank account holding player balances to the account for their company, for their profits, or for their operating expenses. So every time they rake $3 from you, they would transfer $3 from the player account to the operational account. But that's not how they do it. 
That's not how most sites do it. Most sites just keep it all together in one big account. When people ask for their money, then they send them out of that one big account, but they hope nobody ever asks for their money. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that the iPoker network has decided that they are tired of grinders. Now, that's nothing new. But the iPoker network decided that they really only make money from deposits. That that's really the only way that they make a profit if people put money onto the site. And as far as the people who rake a ton, people who may rake hundreds of thousands of dollars, they don't really see those people as customers because those people aren't actually paying them the rake out of their own pocket. They're just paying them the rake out of money that they're already holding. So they don't really see these people as paying that money. And that's a very bad way to think. When I pay $3 of money out of a pot that is supposed to go to me, it doesn't matter if it's online or live or wherever, it should be my money going to you. I have just paid you $3 if you're operating that room. But they don't see it unless you actually take that $3 and transfer it from your own bank account to them, like the depositors do. So what the iPoker Network has done is they have told skins, and the skins are, are the different sites that feed into the network, They said that starting 2015, they are going to use a new model to compensate the skins for what they get for operating on their network. They're going to introduce a new system in January called Source-Based Rake. What is Source-Based Rake? That means we're really only giving you credit for rake that is collected from one of your players if it came from someone who deposited if it came from a winning player who hasn't deposited in a long time, then we don't consider that real rake. Isn't that crazy? They're only compensating the sites if the rake comes from players who deposited. If it's from players who won from other players who deposited, then it's not considered real rake. And they're doing this to try to pressure these sites these skins, to bring depositing players in instead of winning players. They don't like the guy that puts on $500 and runs it up to 100000 because all they make off him is $500. And in fact, they make less because they have to spend money processing his cash outs. They could lose money on that player. So they don't want that player. Even though he rightfully may have paid hundreds of thousands in rake, they don't see it that way. They should, but they don't. Why? Because when they're holding your money, they think it's theirs. And that's an awful way to see things. They should see themselves the same way the live poker room see themselves. Just because you can't cash out after every session doesn't mean that it changes, that they're just simply holding your own money for you, and that every time they charge rake, they are transferring money from your wallet to theirs, basically. But they don't see it that way. They say, if you don't deposit new money on here, we don't want you. And not only don't we want you, we don't want any skins that only bring players like you. So again, the assault on the poker grinder continues, but this time at the skin level, where they're punishing operators that bring active players into their network if they're not depositing. So what they're basically saying here is, as soon as you deposit, that money is ours, not yours. And that's a very disturbing development 
And that is exactly what caused the full tilt problem. That's exactly what caused the problem where full tilt spent all our money, stole all our money, because they figured that as long as they can cover the typical cash outs that come in, we'll never know the difference. So, therefore, it's their money to spend. And look what happened. 775 fraud 55, 775 372 8355. Well, I just talked about Commerce Casino. just want to drop a little note about them. show's almost over, by the way. Three short topics we're going to end with. Commerce Casino has always provided free food in their high-limit room. Before you think they're too generous, it's because their rake is very high. The rake in the high-limit room, for example, uh, is about double of the rake charge at the Bellagio for the same limits. It's about double. It's a lot more. Why is it so much more? I don't know. I guess because they they can get away with it. But uh, I I guess also it's because Bellagio doesn't have to count on poker to succeed, so they... uh, they, they, It's not a major part of their business, so they don't have to squeeze out every dollar. I don't know. But uh, they're, they're like double what the Bellagio charges. They're just—they're very expensive rake-wise, commerce. So for that reason, uh, and since the high-limit players are paying more per hand or per half hour, whatever way it's charged, depending on the game, than any other p- games running in the casino, the lower and mid-limit games, uh, the high-limit room, which actually is not all high-limit, it's kind of like high and middle high-limit, starting from like you know, 20-40 limit and uh, 5-10 no limit in that room. Uh, they're charging for food now for the first time ever. No more complimentary food there. They've taken that away. After offering that, since they built that room in 2002, and offering that before that when they had a a top section in in the main room. I don't know if there's going to be a revolt to this, but uh, people are really getting tired of commerce's high rake and, and general attitude over there, so... This might be the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I know that even though I I don't eat several meals there for the reasons I stated before, because when I go, I tend to play long sessions and I don't want the food to make me too tired. But still, that's annoying. After all, the rake you pay, that, like, you can't even get a, a free meal. At Bellagio, you don't get free meals. However, you earn like $2 an hour on your player's card to basically buy food with. Not just at the table, but you can go to Bellagio restaurants and spend it that way too. So you earn two dollars an hour on food, and and your the rake's like half of what commerce is. So I'm like, you know, I'd much rather pay the lower rake and not get free food, but but I still get free food because I earn the two dollars an hour, and that adds up. So much better situation to play live at Bellagio than commerce, and to charge for the f- food in high limit after all this time, after all the rake these people pay, it's uh, it's pretty obnoxious, and we'll see how it affects them. The room is definitely much less busy nowadays than it was before. And I have to think somewhat from the raising of the rake, and they uh, they they also have this stupid jackpot where they uh, they drop four, which you know most people never see the money back from that. And at commerce in the games, which are not a time charge, the rake games, including forty eighty hold'em, they actually take a dollar from the pot, even if there's no flop, which is really bad. Even I, I even all the online rooms don't do that. 
So no flop, you still pay a dollar. I hope there's a revolt. They're they're getting too big for the britches over there. Trump Taj Mahal is closing. They're going to be closing on uh, December 12th. They're not owned by Donald Trump anymore. And uh, Atlantic City, you know, really struggling with a lot of closures. But here's an alternative viewpoint from Steve Ruddock, a.k.a. Steve-O, who follows the Atlantic City market a lot. He's a, a poker journalist who posts on Poker Fraud Alert. He said, if you look at the revenue reports over the past two months, you'll see that the total industry revenue in Atlantic City is slightly down, but nearly every remaining casino, other than the Taj, is posting double-digit revenue increases. The industry in Atlantic City is finally right-sizing. Atlantic City will feel the pinch in the short term, but this had to happen for long-term viability. So even though Atlantic City has 12, had 12 casinos, and with the Taj closing, that'll be number 5 closing. So they've lost 5 of the 12 Atlantic City casinos in one year. But Steve-O is saying that now the remaining casinos, not including the Trump, have had double-digit percentage revenue increases. So basically the other casinos have improved their revenue big time thanks to these closures. That the people who used to go to these closed properties are now going to the remaining open ones. And that this was necessary to save Atlantic City. Because otherwise Atlantic City was going to fall apart. There were just too many players there. Not, I mean, I don't mean casino players too many casino players, too many casinos, and not enough players to play in them. So they had to... Some had to fall. They had to thin the herd. There was not enough for the herd of casinos to eat there. So, five of the herd has died off, and the remaining seven is starting to get fatter again. That's an interesting perspective. Many think that uh, Atlantic City is going to be done. Many think that Atlantic City has no chance because people who used to go there from areas like Connecticut have places like Foxwoods to go to, and they don't need Atlantic City anymore. People in New York don't need Atlantic City anymore. But he's saying Atlantic City has a market, they just uh, don't have as big of a market as they used to, and they just had to shrink a bit. And now they're okay. That's what Steve-O thinks is going to happen. So, uh, final topic here. Jose Canseco. Famous baseball player who admitted he did roids. Um, he lost his uh, middle finger in an accident. He got it reattached. And um, while he was in a poker tournament, uh, it fell off, supposedly. He was supposedly in a poker tournament, and the finger just, just came apart. And he claims someone has it on video, though the video has not surfaced. 
Now, the strangest part here is what did he do with the finger? Did he run to the hospital and have it reattached? No. Um, Jose Canseco tweeted two days ago. I, I'm not making this up. He tweeted, I will soon put the finger that fell off in the poker tournament on eBay for sale. <laughs> He's actually going to sell his finger that fell off during a poker tournament on eBay. You can actually go on eBay, not right now, but eventually, and buy from Jose Canseco his finger that fell off. He's not going to bother to put it back on. Now, I think the reason that he is not going to put the finger back on is because he has so many roids and other chemicals in his system from what he used to do during baseball that uh, it's probably going to c- grow back. <laughs> I mean, he probably has superhuman powers at this point to regenerate, given all the stuff he pumped into himself. So, Jose Canseco feels that he does not need his finger anymore. He's happy to put it on eBay. I bet you didn't expect that. I, didn't, I bet you didn't expect when you watched uh, Jose Canseco hitting home runs for the Oakland A's back in the 80s and 90s that he would be selling his finger online after it falls off. Who would buy that? Do you think a baseball fan would want Jose Canseco's finger? Like, like people will pay millions of dollars for milestone baseballs like uh, you know, record-breaking baseballs. But uh, would they pay for his finger? Well, we're going to try a river phone call. This is going to reward the people who stuck around through this whole show. I have to tell you, it is not easy to talk for three hours straight as I have done here with no co-host. My only break, two breaks really came from playing Terrence Chan talking on YouTube and from having handicapped me call in. Got a few short breaks, but it's tough. It's tough to sit here and talk and talk and talk and talk with no break. My throat actually hurts after every show we do. But I have to give the people what they want and, uh, I've recently been provided with the phone number of one uh, Philip Helmuth. And, you know, I wouldn't be a good radio host if I didn't attempt to call Mr. Philip Helmuth and uh, get a comment on the UB situation. I, I'm just, I'm just going to hit him with it. I'm just going to say, Phil, when are you going to tell the public about why you sat quiet about UB for so long? Why did you promote, promote UB years after the cheating scandal without investigating any of that. Who owned it? Who still owned it? Who was still at the company? What happened with the GM? Why do you keep promoting it after the scandal? Why haven't you explained this to us? Why do you wear the UB hat for so long? Let's see if he answers. Aaron Poker saying 2% chance he answers. That's probably 2% chance this ever even rings. Oh, the problem is here. Huh. I hate when Skype did There we go. I don't have that weird ring anymore. Remember that weird ring music he had? He had like that dynamite song? Hello, it's Phil Hamius. 
you've reached me. Yeah. Leave a message and I, for a moment, I was like, oh, wow, I got him. Like, I hear, hello, this is Phil Hellmuth. Like, I could picture him answering the phone that way. You know, like how you and I answer the phone, hello? Like, I could picture Phil Hellmuth answering the phone of, hello, this is Phil Hellmuth. Like, that's so him. Bad guy saying call again. All right, bad guy. Let's do it. Hello, it's Phil Hellmuth. Wow, this, this one went directly to voicemail. The first one rang like twice. Now, now keep in mind, it is 1040 where Phil lives. So, you know, maybe he saw it in the... Pro- you know, I, I don't know how it shows. When I call with Skype, uh, sometimes it shows like a weird phone number, like 661-something. And I was hoping that's the way it shows. And other times it just shows like unknown caller. So I don't know which way it shows. Uh, so the first time it rang a few times, and the second time it just went directly to voicemail. So I don't know if the, the when you hear a cell phone ringing, it doesn't really mean it's ringing. In fact, this this came up when that uh, Malaysian Air flight disappeared, which still hasn't been found. When that disappeared, there were some conspiracy theorists who were saying that when they tried to call their loved ones on the flight, it didn't go directly to voicemail. It rang a few times. So they thought what that meant was that the flight didn't necessarily crash, that it was probably landed somewhere on some island and being hidden somewhere, and, and that, that people's phones were ringing and just they were not allowed to answer. But it was pointed out that ringing doesn't really mean the phone is ringing, it just means that sometimes it just means the network is trying to find the phone and it's just playing a ring to you. You're just, you're just hearing a ring sound, but it's not actually ringing. Like, for example, sometimes you'll call your friend on, on a cell phone, it'll ring like eight times, and they'll answer and your friend didn't always take eight rings to answer. Your friend sometimes will have just heard it ring once, and the first seven rings will just be like, well, the network between your phone and their phone is handshaking and, and connecting to each other. And it just plays a ring, so you don't just like wonder what is happening when it's just dead air. So it, it's possible that his phone is off, but it took the network a few rings to realize it the first time, and the second time, since I called right afterwards, the network already knew his phone was off. But we'll try one more time. Please enjoy this Verizon ring back tone while your party oh, is This is what I'm used to. Alright, All right, bad guy calling. You said you just called, but I didn't see your call coming. Yeah, I see I got a voicemail from you, but try again, bad guy. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Or I can call you if you want. I see your phone number. I see the voicemail. I just uh, I, I didn't get your call for some reason. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Bad guy twenty three. Hello. Yeah, I mean, what are you doing, bro? What am I doing? I called Phil. You asked me to call Phil. I called Phil. No, I know, but I called and you didn't get my call, man, or what? No, I didn't get your call. Oh, <laughs> uh, a second time. You got it the second time. That's good. Yeah. So did Phil answer or no? I guess not. Uh, no, it was weird. Because you wouldn't take my call. No, this, is, this is so weird because, like, so the first time I called, 
I got like two rings and then like the voice. No, I heard it. And then the yeah. next time he went right to it. You should call right again no, 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 after no, no, that. No, 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 I mean, I he's checking his voicemail, man. No, no, here's the He's checking part. his answering machine. Well, hold on. The weird part is the third call, I got this like ringtone, like which I didn't get the first time. Fuck him, call him again. Let me be on the phone. I'll interview his ass. I tell him that Milwaukee's best is bullshit. I, the only thing I'm afraid of, bad guys, if we do reach him, that I'm going to try to ask him about UB, and you're going to start like shouting obscenities at him. I won't say a word, man. I'll put it on mute. Start I start threatening him or something. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Call again. I'll put it on mute. I won't say one word. I promise you. Right, well, try one more time here. It's, it's, uh... I'll put it on mute right now. Someone's suggesting to me on Skype I should bait him in with Daniel Coleman talk. I probably should. That's, that's probably that's not what I want to do. I'll try to do that. Someone's saying he won a 2014 Pittsburgh Poker <laughs> Open 54K thing. That, that can't be true, right? I don't know. Well, maybe he's in Pittsburgh. I'll go fucking find him. Look, he jaced that. Or, no, the X Factor just wrote that. In chat. He's probably right. <laughs> he might be in Pittsburgh. He might be in Pittsburgh. I yeah, can find a hotel. <laughs> maybe you can go no, find him No, for real. I mean, that's what he just wrote. Is that true? I mean, maybe you should go find him yourself and ask him in person. Yeah, well, want me to, want me to tape him? I'll fucking... Yeah. I'll find it. Hey, I'm putting it on mute. All right. Bad guy going on mute. We're going to try to call up uh, Phil Hellmuth here. I guess I, so I guess he was in Pittsburgh as of two days Enjoy ago. Enjoy this Verizon ringback tone while your party is. If he's in Pittsburgh, though, it's, it's almost two in the morning. It's almost two in the morning. And Bill He doesn't want to be bothered about Daniel Coleman and you. He doesn't want radio shows calling. Bothering him all night. He's getting his That's your phone ringing, man. Yeah, I know. Hello, it's Phil Hamnius. You've reached me. Leave a message. Right. Well, you should have let me leave a message. He would uh, recognize I, if he was in Pittsburgh. He'd recognize my accent. <laughs> yeah, he'd, yeah, he'd, say, he'd say I recognize. <laughs> Yawns and all this other crap. I, say, so that, he was here two days ago. That's where he used to. guy from the residential neighborhood of Pittsburgh. I know him. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's only two casinos in Pittsburgh. It's either the Meadows or the Rivers. I mean, there's no other one. That's only two. That's the only two casinos in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was probably the rivers. I would think. Yeah, the people are downtown. Rivers, yeah. So, no, it's too bad we didn't reach him. We'll, we'll give it a try. I'll save the number. We'll, we'll try other weeks. So what's up, Jeff? What's up with the workers' party? How the fuck wasn't I invited to the tournament, man? I, I, I don't even know, know about it. I don't know. I, this wasn't my thing. It was Brandon's thing. <laughs> no, I know. I'm kidding. Well, I know why. I mean, you know. He broke up the band, so that's why I'm not invited. He didn't break up any, but the band was going to break up itself, believe me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry what I said last night on the radio, man. Or on the... I'm drunk, as you can see. I mean, I wish you would have been had radio last night. I was tuned in last night. By the way, I, I might as well drop this on here. I, I hadn't posted it, but I might as well drop this. Uh, Josie is married now and has a kid. Oh, she got married? I know she married. had a kid. I didn't know she no, got married. Maybe she's not married. Maybe she, she's either 
married or, or living with a guy who has a kid. But like, like she's yeah, well, I just had a kid, too. You, had you know what kid? I named her? Hold on, I'm going to say it right on here. I'm dropping something, too. Another kid. Yeah, I named her after that. Beebs, man. I told you I was going to name my kid Bailey if I had another daughter, and it was. Bailey. That's what I named her. So, so you How you like that, man? I'm bringing so, PFA all over the place, kid, so, so and you're who censoring me. Who, who, who was the kid with? Same girl as before. The, uh, the, the same. Well, not, not the first. Not the one I go to jail for. But so it's not, it's not the Tammy, other one. Right? Is it Tammy or the other one? Yeah, it's Tammy. Oh, it is Tammy. Yeah. No, the first one's... I don't want to say the name, but the one that won the lottery is the first one. So so how many kids do you have now? Three. It seems like more than that. It seems like you have like half of Pittsburgh. No. You know, I can't believe I don't have more because I've been fucking since I was 13. Thank the Lord I started having them late, but uh, it's just, yeah, it's all, it's all bad news. <laughs> but no, this little one, though, the one I just had, it like you said, the older you get, the worse it gets. It was a bad thing when we went in there. The kid almost died, man. That's why I was missing an action for a minute. I mean, like, she was, it was just a bad thing. Like, she was only five pounds and some ounces when she was born. But when we went into the hospital, you should have seen it, man. It was crazy. I shouldn't even be saying all this on here. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I told you guys my whole life on this thing. But, yeah, I mean, these doctors didn't know what to do. I mean, because the, the, the main doctor, he wasn't there. And she called him and talked to him before that. And these girls, it was all females, too. They were they were panicking because they couldn't get the baby's heartbeat. But we went up there earlier in the day, and the heartbeat was strong as hell. But I guess when, you know, the, the baby was coming out or she started delivering, I mean, all shit went. I mean, it was all bets were off, man. And you knew something was wrong. They had to do a C-section, put it that way. Yeah, well, but now the baby's healthy as hell, and you wouldn't believe it, man. That's good. So when was the baby born? How long ago? She was born on the 23rd of... Uh, September. So about two months ago, and uh, so now was this the uh, the mother that was giving you the hard time by the child support? Is this the same one? No, no, that's the that's no, the that's my that's oldest the, that's kid. The, that's the other. No, okay. that's the one that hit the lottery. Okay, so now her dad you, hit the lottery, so, the Powerball. So are, are you going to be uh, like like how much are you in this child's life now, this baby? I'm in, I, I, I'm in it a hundred percent, man. I'm all in. Are you, I are mean, you living with Tammy now? It, Excuse me? Are you living with Tammy and the baby? Oh, well, that's where you sent the hat. <laughs> I, I, mean, I didn't pay attention Wait, to the When you sent me my hat, that's where you sent it to. Okay, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I'm there. I, am I there right this second? No, I'm not there tonight. But there, there's a reason behind that. But no, I'm not there right this second tonight. But, I mean, I was there the whole time while she was pregnant and... You know, I don't want to say too much on here. That's what it is. Is she pressuring the bad guy to change diapers? Uh, the bad, hey, I'll tell you a good story. The day of the, right before the Eagles game, that's my favorite team, the Eagles, even though I live in Pittsburgh. Right before the Eagles game, it was just me and her, the little one, and she shit all the way up her back, dude. You should have seen what I had to do, man. I couldn't believe it. I even called her. I said, man, there's poop going up her, like, it exploded, man. Like, yeah. someone put a firecracker in her ass. Yeah. Yeah, the bad guy changes diapers, man. The bad guys change many diapers. I, as, as much as you guys think I'm the bad dad, uh, that's not the truth. You know, it's funny. Is but, I, you know, I, things I actually... happened the first time in the first relationship. I was young, and, you know, when she needed a babysitter or somebody that, you know, I was there the whole time, but... You know, I knew I seen this coming from a mile away, and I agreed to something when I had a bunch of money. The child support, 
that I shouldn't agree to. And they won't lower the shit. I don't even got a fucking job, man. And they made me pay out of my ass, but it's what it is. You know, no hard feelings. I, I took your advice. I didn't put the porn tapes out there. <laughs> what, you, what can you do, Druff? I mean, it's the truth, man. The bad guy tells you the truth. And I don't do drugs, even though on my, my dad, who I don't even like, and I'll say that on here, my sister talks to him all the time. I mean, people go, you know, you Google the name, and they, the, the, the Vicodin shit's coming up. I don't do drugs, man. They, they weren't Vicodins that I got from Josie. They were like Tylenol something. It's a fucking joke, man, and that chick's crazy. Wow. And you know what? Just for the record, I mean, since we're talking, and you know that she was pregnant, you had to know that somehow, yeah, and you yeah. knew she had a kid. Her baby came out like two pounds something. So who's doing the fucking drugs now? Well, I saw she had a yeah. premature baby. There's a lot of ways that can happen. Yeah, it's a... No, but I, 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 listen, I don't talk to her, and I'm glad that the baby came out healthy, whatever. I didn't even know she was fucking pregnant, bro. Yeah, you know, she she kind of vanished from this whole scene, I think, when she got that boyfriend, and, you know, she just, uh, perhaps PFA for whatever reason. But, uh, I guess she lacked his own. <laughs> but, but anyway. That chick's crazy, just for the record. I don't give a fuck what you guys think or say. She's a fucking nut. And then, you know, the time that she came on radio, I still ain't listened to it. I was in jail. You know, I went to jail... On my birthday, I got out. November 22nd is my birthday, coming up. But that one time that I was on Beer and Poker Show and had Rosa on there, I went to jail the next day. She called the cops on me because she knew I was at Rosa's then. Well, she did, dude. I went to jail. I was in jail. I mean, like, I, you think I'm not going to be in – if I wasn't in jail, you don't think I would have called in to rebuttal what she was saying? I mean, it's what it is, though, man. I, listen, I know Josie a long time. She's fucked up. Well, I'm you know telling what, you all this. Good luck. Good luck to her. With the Vicodins here, okay? I, I, I save all the. You Vicodins know I don't take no fucking drugs, well, man. I drink. I, I don't do drugs. I, I don't even Vicodins, smoke weed, man. When I get Vicodins don't. from from my dental procedures or whatever, I save them so I can use them for other purposes. And and so recently, it's, I haven't gotten any new Vicodins in a little while. Recently, mm -hmm. I, I had like in October, I got a streak of all these bad headaches in a row where I need to take Vicodin. And then now I'm getting low. Now I'm thinking, damn, I wish I still knew Josie because then you know maybe I could get some here. But now, yeah, I'm you would. No, I, I believe that. I really do. You know what? I'll, I'll say something about Josie though. I'll say something, and I'm not defending her because I know people are going to listen to this, and then I'm going to get I'm going to get a bunch of backlash for even saying her name right now. So, but whatever. She do, she doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. I mean, she never did drugs that I know. Cause I, I would never go out a chick that did drugs. I just wouldn't. I I just would. I'd be like, you're a fucking drug addict. Suck my dick. That's it. Get the fuck out. But I think in time, these doctors give her these prescription drugs, man, and she takes them. And I think, and they don't. I think prescri prescription drugs is way worse than weed or liquor. I have anxiety. I drink to deal with it. I don't take. I'm not gonna have some doctor give me freaking drugs, man. I I just don't agree with it. I mean, you don't take drugs. You took you took you took Vicodins because you had pain in your tooth. I mean, she takes Vicodins because they give them to her. Yeah. I mean, who the fuck take? What the hell does a girl need a Vicodins for? Well, yeah, and I only take Vicodins for a purpose if there's something that hurts. So. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, Vicodins, Xanax, all that shit. I mean, I'm. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't hang out with her all like that anymore. But from what I heard, I mean, she's like a fucking Pez dispenser. <laughs> but and then to blame me and come on here and you know she was calling Tammy too that day I mean I think it was more lashing out than anything I mean because that's what she does 
I mean, I can tell you stories about this girl. We can go on. We can, we have to start a whole other radio show. It have to be Drexel under the night. <laughs> I mean, because it's a joke. But you know, the bad guy's always gonna be the bad guy. Yeah. But I do. I do sniff out the scammers, even though I'm one. Yeah, it, it is true. You have you have you have been a magnet to uh, when the scammers like. Because I'm not gonna let them scam anybody, man. Fucking PRDC, I called that shit before it yeah, even happened. Like I called the radio show. You guys gotta go back and listen to it. Remember, he was he was in Costa Rica buying an island or some shit. You guys told me. It is amazing. With, I mean, with the... bad guy. It's amazing with bad guy. How many times he does transactions with people, and then they accuse him of being a scammer, and then it turns out that. And these I say just sit back and watch. Yeah, and then, then then it turns out these people who accuse him of being a scammer were scammers themselves. So, like, it's amazing how many Do I ever use your – listen to me. You can look at all the PMs and anything on your site. Do I ever use your site to gamble or anything? Have I ever done it? Not once. I don't do that. Listen, I have my past transgressions or whatever you want to call it, but I'm telling you right now. when a sc- I knew that CLA guy was fucking scamming, dude. I just wanted him to fall on his fucking face. I mean, that guy, I mean, and then you've seen the picture of him. I mean, Jesus Christ. Get a haircut, bro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, I love you, man. I didn't mean to cause any trouble last night, and I didn't mean to bring up somebody that died. But your ass, you have no, you have no coup when it comes to me, man. You let all this stuff stay up, well, which I don't care. No, I don't care. I, I, I don't care, though. You know I don't. I this year. The reason I let the things about you stay up when My we, kids we, might care down the road, but I don't. Comments about your life. You come on these segments. The I always the have. You, you, you tell these very detailed stories about uh, matters in your life, and uh, I feel at that point, if you're going to put it all out there like that, if people want to I do. Uh, comment about it, I, I well, should. Well, so did I, Brandon. I mean, he, uh, well, Brandon, I'm not going to talk about that, but I mean, my point last night was, it might, if it wasn't for MyCon, none of this is happening. It just isn't. No, Brandon, right or wrong. When, when you got to agree with that, stuff, too. I mean, it's Brandon just not. stuff out there, uh, it, it was a different story. But, no, you Brandon too, was, man. I mean, I mean, you had a big alive. part go, down the stretch. Alive, but, I mean, in the beginning, you even said you went to MyCon site. They all hated you. Or never went or wherever the fuck no, it was. Not, that's actually not the way it happened. That's not important. The, the, the thing is here, it's not Brandon. It is important, bro. That's how It's the roots of this whole thing. It's the roots of this whole thing. You're part of the roots. Brandon, I mean, would you really be mad if your friend shook some guy's hand? We're not going to get into the whole Brandon post there. What I'm saying here is that, uh, uh, no, no, but I, I can understand how the way Brandon feels because, uh, you know, he really, you know, this is his really close friend there that, that he had uh, uh, confided in about how much uh, yeah, he hated this, this former friend of his, and then uh, then he felt like a bit a degree of betrayal when the when the current best friend uh, is is very nice to the former friend. So I, I can understand why that's, uh, you know, that, that bothers him to see. But I, I'm not going to get into that whole thing. But what I'll say here is that uh, it's not Brandon's fault at all that, you know, that the, there was the split from the other site and, and you know, that that was going to happen. The writing was on the wall for that. And No, uh, I thought that at first it was his fault and you, you made that quite clear it wasn't. It was, so, the writing I mean, was on the wall. It was going to happen for sure. It just, you know, it, it took some time, but it was already kind of on its way and then finally things started to happen and that's, uh, you know, so it's not, believe me, it would have happened. Sucks. That sucks. Even that if, sucks. Even if Brandon was, ne- <laughs> even if Brandon was never born. For radio, that sucked, bro. Listen, if Brandon was never even born, this would have still happened. I agree. Well, I, well, that's because then Mike Khan must be a douche. 
I mean, for real, because I think you were a loyal friend. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the whole thing again, but I, I'm just going to tell you that if, if Brandon was never... Uh, whatever, you never want to talk about nothing, man. What the fuck do you want to talk about, Phil Hellmuth and Milwaukee Best fucking cans? I mean, what do we want to talk uh, about, there's man? Certain, there's certain I don't got nothing good to bring. You want me to call my gram? <laughs> <laughs> there's certain things that I, I, I've agreed with certain other parties we're not going to discuss publicly, so that's this is one of them. So, all right, um... Uh, it's it's eleven o'clock here. I know it's two o'clock where you. Uh, are. You're going to bed. You're going to bed. No, what do you mean bed, it's eleven o'clock? It's eleven. It's fucking two o'clock here, bro. I, I understand that, but uh, since I'm in a secret location here tonight, I, I actually I, I needed a third party to watch Benjamin tonight. And he, he's still awake and everything. So I, I, I gotta... We should have called Rosa, man. Yeah, we can do that next week. We'll call Rosa next week. Just call a little bit earlier, so. She might not be alive next week. She's ninety-three. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna regret this if between now and next week Rosa dies. I'm gonna. You know, we only got six days. It's gonna be on your ass, man. If she does. Yeah, it's gonna be six days though. So tell Rosa to stay alive for six days. We can call her in six days on the Tuesday show. And uh, hey, keep me on to say Shalom or wherever the fuck it is. Yeah, I will. I will. We got uh, a minute and a half left in this song, so we'll be back Tuesday, uh, November 25th. And we will have a show during Thanksgiving week. At 6.30 p.m. or thereabouts Pacific time Free roll again, all the usual stuff Thank you to Handicap Me For calling in and giving us some insight About the Caesars bankruptcy And uh, thank you to the anonymous Person who gave me Phil Helmy's phone I'll keep that around and try to call that in the future And Bad Guy, thank you for calling in and giving us an update On what's going on And congr- congratulations with your new daughter You, you have uh, three girls Thank you, thank you, thank you Is it all girls you have? All girls, bro. I'm, I'm unlucky. <laughs> I, had, I had one kid and it was a boy. So, so I got lucky. So anyway, uh, but no, it's good that the you know, kid's healthy now, especially after being with a, a little bit of low wage or whatever. So, bad guy changing diapers and, and actually becoming a good dad. Who thought we'd see that? Bad guy's been changing diapers for 13 years, bro. Alright, very good. So, best bad guy in the residential neighborhood. And uh, me, Todd Dandruff, will tell us here in the secret location, a very secret location this time, on old equipment that hopefully worked okay. We'll see you in six days for another episode. Maybe I'll have a co host, maybe I won't. But maybe we'll call Rosa. Bad guy can call in a bit earlier. Good night, everybody, and go ahead, bad guy, say it. Shalom, motherfuckers. Good night.